Hello, and welcome to Automating Success Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Langton, and with me as always, my co-host and daughter, Julia Langton. I'm a serial entrepreneur and president of Langton Group, working towards uniting the landscaping industry and helping everyone to not only survive, but thrive during the upcoming automation revolution. Our goal with this show is to inspire all of our listeners to incorporate automation into their business and maximize the associated benefit for your business and employees by sharing experiences, insights, and amazing interviews with the best thought leaders in the industry. We will also be chronicling the growth of mine and Julia's newest automation-focused startup venture, Automated Outdoor Solutions. Now let's get the show started. entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man. So Gary, thank you for being on Automating Success. I'm Joe Langton. It's my beautiful daughter, Julia Langton. And uh, I'm going to start off straight up by saying, you may not know this, but you are the inspiration to us doing this podcast. I love, awesome. I love, love your Ditch Digger CEO podcast. Absolutely love it. Um, and as I listened to it, and since I became a part of True Mentors, which is another great organization that you started, I've had so many people tell me I'm like a young Gary Rabine. I thought, I'm sure if today's Gary Rabine could be doing a podcast at 41, he would have been. So I'm going to just, I'm going to hop on and I'm going to do it. So you, I've never had a chance to tell you this before, but it's important for you to know this. And uh, so you've inspired me. Awesome. I appreciate that, buddy. That's, that's, that's my goal. That's my whole goal of my podcast is not, I mean, I, I'm about making money. I, I run businesses to make money, right? That's what we do. But, but as you get you know, a little later in life, you'll find out 15, 20 years from now, you'll say, okay, man, I've had some great success. I've had fun. Now what can I do to make sure other people can enjoy this, this American dream that you live, right? And, and I, I don't think there's enough of us that do that, um, but I think it's something that we have to be conscious of. We, we have to be conscious of this, this American dream isn't everywhere, right? It's, it's called American dream because it's only here. There's no, not, absolutely. Yep. There's no other country you can go to and enjoy the, 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 uh, this, this potential success through hard work that you can enjoy in America. So my, my thing is to create awareness that, hey, number one, entrepreneurship is accessible to everybody. And then number two, you know, continue to, to protect this, this great free enterprise system we have because it can go, it can go away fast. I mean, if, if we aren't conscious uh, of, of what it takes to be a free country and a free enterprise-driven country, um, it'll go fast because there's a lot of people that are envious over success, a lot of people that don't understand that it's accessible to everybody. It's not limited. Um, so again, that's why I do it. I want to inspire more people to understand why entrepreneurship is so much fun and then why this country is so great. And, and, and the big thing is, man, hold on to it and fight against it. You know, young people like Julia, man, you, you know, Julia's future, it, it can be great. And it, it, with you as a father, mentor, and, and all the great people she's going to be around, she'll, and, and at a young age that she is to be, to be a, a leader in a business is awesome. It's a, it's a cool thing. And in America, her success will be, it, it's, it, it'll be imminent, right? Whether she has little failures here and there, as long as she has your work ethic, she's going to be a success in America. Now, if America turns into a country like Venezuela that was like us, one of, the most, uh, one of the richest countries in the world only 20 years ago, 
and turns into if, if America follows their platform of of equal equalization of everything and 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 everybody deserves free stuff and and uh, you don't have to work anymore because the country's going to take care of you, right? If America falls into that, Julia would be looking at at oh my gosh, what happened, right? Why didn't we get why didn't I get involved? Why how did this happen to America? Okay, so so again, my thing is uh, and why I do mine is to inspire entrepreneurship and people to understand it's abundant. Entrepreneurship is abundant, and we can serve not only our communities, our country, but the rest of the world with great innovation that we are part of here in America. And, and, but that all goes away in a socialist environment, and that's the thing I, I lose sleep at night over, right? So for yeah, me, I'll well, inspire more people. To, to expand on that, you know, one of the things that um, I, I think gets overlooked is, uh, you know, work ethic. You know, I mean, one of the things that you brought up, you said, you know, if she has my work ethic, she'll be successful. You know, and it's one of the things that I think we're going to get into it as I really start to get into the interview with you. But one of the things that I feel blessed being an entrepreneur is to be able to work with my kids and let them work around my work ethic and learn that work ethic so it actually gets passed down. Um, it's something that I, I, I feel so blessed with, with owning my own business, businesses like you do, and being able to figure out, you know, which one of my kids is going to run with a certain business, which is something you're doing also. Um, because this is another thing that only in this country can you plan for that with, with your, with your kids, you know, I mean, and, and be able to teach a work ethic, which these are, this is something that can't be taught in school or in college. This has to be learned um, because you're working along someone with a work ethic, you know, so. Absolutely. You know, and you know, it's, it's minimized, right. And, and when it comes to, you know, work ethic and people say, Oh, you know what, my kid really works hard in school. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to make them work. You know, poor little Julia, she works so hard to get, to get A's in school. Uh, or gosh, you know, she's an athlete, so she's in sports, so she shouldn't have to work. She works hard in sports. But that's, and that's all great. That does mean a lot, right? If kids have to work hard for those things, but, but actually working with your hands or working with your brain to, to understand how to create a value for others, man, that's the best. And, and if you can teach your kids that at a young age, boy, you're, they're, they're, they're going to have an unfair advantage. And I, I use that term a lot. I talk about unfair advantages in my life, right? And unfair advantage to me isn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't my white privilege, right? It was 100% uh, raised, with, raised with two parents that love me, right? It was 100% being raised in America. Uh, it, it was, you know, it, it was, you know, marrying up, marrying a great woman that, that became uh, somebody I wanted, uh, that inspired me to try to do the best I could in business and raising my family and all that. And, and then eventually my faith, right? My faith came through, uh, through that as well. So I get, there's unfair advantages in life, but one of them is, is actually a kid understanding the value uh, at a young age, as young as possible, in my opinion. I don't care if it's eight, nine, 10 years old. Heck, I, I know people that started working at five, five six years old with, with their family, right? For me, yeah. I, it was uh, you know, 10 years old, I started working around my dad and then got a newspaper route and, and so on, right? So, so for me, it was a young age that I understood that the, the dignity of work, the fun of, of actually working, and then making something, whether it's the six dollars a week I made, you know, delivering newspapers and the tips I had at the end of the week, or it was the lawn mowing jobs, you know, for me to have that cash in my pocket earned by my hard work, man, that was the best feeling I could have. And that it started there. And then from there on, I, you know, a few years, let's say 13, 14 years old, we lived in, in, in a lower income area, a cottage turned into a full time home. But man, I knew for the rest of my life, I would always have a job, I'd always have money in my pocket. 
because I knew that I knew how to make money back then, right? And so the confidence of, of, of being, you know, being self-sufficient and, and, the, and the dignity of work is a huge thing that many people don't understand the importance of, in my opinion. Right? These are my opinions, but I, yeah. I believe there's too much more people, young people today, that don't understand the importance of the dignity of work to have a job to, to, to be, be self-sufficient. And, um, you know, my kids, I, I taught, I, I, I had this kind of nightmare in my head back when my kids were young that they would grow up to be, you know, uh, lazy, um, uh, you know, just, um, uh, dependent of, of me or others, right? And, and so, you know, I had my kids working at very young ages. And, and you know, I, I know how I worked when I was a kid. And, you know, people looked at me back then or, you know, my dad that where he was abusive because he worked us a lot. And I know that when my, my son, I had him working a lot. People would look at me even, you know, even 30, you know, 20 years ago now, right? He's 33 now, 20 years ago saying, you know, that kid work, works too much. He shouldn't have to work so hard, right? And so, uh, but, but today my kid, you know, my kids are self-sufficient. If something happens to me, something happens to my business, no doubt in my mind, they'll go out and they'll get a great job or they'll start their own business all over again uh, because they have all the tools that it takes to do that, right? So my, my comfort in my life is, hey, you know what? I can take risk. I may lose it all again. I've done it already, right? I may lose it all again. Um, if I do, my kids are going to be fine, right? And, yeah. that, and that's, a, that's a great feeling. Well, Gary, I mean, so I was actually just on a, a green industry podcast yesterday and the person asked me, what are the three things that makes me most successful? And you just hit on a few things that I just want to bring up. And then I'm going to let you explain to my listeners about all your businesses. Cause I know who Gary Rabine is, but the listeners don't yet. But you know, one of the things first, I worked with my dad when I was 12 years old, <laughs> you know? So the whole thought of you're working them too hard. My mom and dad said, you have a choice. You can stay home and watch, wash dishes with your sister and vacuum, or you can go work with dad. I was like, I'm working with dad. There's a lot of windshield time there. I can talk to my dad. I can learn from my dad. I would go and work with my dad. But it's what got me in the industry. My dad was a union laborer, you know, um, and uh, doing some side work. You asked me the first time we met where the name Lankin Group came. As a matter of fact, uh, to the audience, the first time I met Gary, he uh, saw one of my robots outside my house. You may not even remember this, Gary. And you said, hey, that robot's pretty cool. I need one on my golf course. And did you steal that name Langton Group from my company, Raybon Group? Okay. And I, it made me laugh because uh, actually my dad had a company called The Langton Group. And when I started Langton Group, I had to take the off just so that I could incorporate in Illinois. But I did it because I wanted to show my dad how I could grow his dream of The Langton Group. He just never did it. He had five kids, real conservative guy. But you know, one of the things that I always got from my parents was if you treat people right, they will always come back. And you can look at this at employees or customers. You treat your customers right, they're always going to come back to you. And if you treat your employees right, they're always going to stay. And these are things that you just can't learn in school. These are things you have to learn from people that you look up to in your life. And when you talk about your kids being set up with all the right tools to succeed if something happens to you i feel the same way you know if i teach my kids how to treat people then if something happens to me they're always going to treat people right and whether they start their own business or work for someone else they're either going to treat their boss right they're going to treat their customer right i say all the time even when you have your own business you have a bunch of bosses your customers are really your boss like they they want something you know, and I always tell people, don't call me your boss, call me your leader, 
Like, I, I'm not your boss. I'm your leader, you know? Um, so anyways, but to not get sidetracked right out of the gate, because I, I, I want people to truly know um, Gary Rabine. So I, I want to get started with how did Gary Rabine, in your opinion, you know, starting from the beginning, you've already kind of hit on it a little bit, get to the point where you're at. And if you have any past jobs, okay, that um, kind of define you, you know, you, you like for me, I looked at certain jobs or certain people I worked for and I said, I want to, when I lead, I want to lead this way, but there's other people I worked with or for that I said, I'm not going to lead that way. So could you expand on that? Yeah, so for, for me, uh, Joe, I mean, my, 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 my dad is crazy. My dad, my dad is a workaholic still today, 81, 81 years old. Um, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't work in a job or anything, right? He doesn't have a business, any, anything like that, but he works every day. He's doing something, whether it's for his neighbors, he's cutting trees, he's splitting firewood, he, you know, he heats his house with a, with a stove still, so he stocks up his firewood. Even though he goes to Florida now in the wintertime, he still stocks up for winter so that if he, if he does come home, he's ready. Uh, or if somebody stays in the house, they're ready because that's what we always use for heat was firewood. So I was, I was, my, my dad worked in a factory, the union, uh, union guy in the uh, AFL-CIO rubber, rubber workers union, um, North Chicago, Illinois, for Goodyear Rubber back then was their hose division. And so my dad worked in a factory 40, 50 hours a week, uh, became the union steward, um, and, uh, and, and at the same time started his own business. Uh, there's, a, there's a Dutch elm, elm disease and in uh, Illinois, I think all across the country. And so these Dutch elms that were prevalent this, to this area were all dying off. So he went and bought a chainsaw. He had a couple of Dutch elms in our yard and uh, he went and bought a chainsaw at Sears. His first and only loan of his life, he loaned $150 or 100 and some odd dollars. And, uh, and that was the only financing he ever did in his life because after that he paid cash for everything. But online is uh, he bought this chainsaw, did his own trees. A neighbor said, hey, can you, can you come over and look at our, our trees? We got some dead Dutch elms too. And so he looked at him and said, heck yeah, I could do that. And, and uh, what would you charge me? He said, well, you know what, uh, what does this sound fair? Right? came up with $100 or a couple of dollars. And, and so sure enough, he did that. And he was, man, this is, this is good money. And I, it's good exercise, good money. He ended up uh, putting ads in, it, in what was the advertiser back then, which I think is still around um, in, in, in uh, northern Illinois. There's a thing called the advertiser. Put an ad in the advertiser. And, uh, and, and started cutting trees on the side. That grew into, uh, he, he bought a, a pickup truck, put sideboards on it, then he bought an old beat up dump truck, puts bigger, big sideboards on that. And then he started hauling sand and gravel for people, little loads and stuff. So he, he ended up doing many different things for let's say 10 years of the, of the 20 years he worked in the factory. He, he uh, did all these side jobs and had his little side businesses. So the guy would end up want, wanting to work the night shift so that he could work all day and then work at night too, right? So his, his business, he was doing it in the day and, and working at night. So anytime I was home from school, I was working. And my sisters actually, I had four sisters older than me, they were, they were doing it before me. But as I got to be eight, nine, 10 years old, he was bringing me everywhere he went, um, taught me how to use an ax when I was you know, 10 years old and, and, a, and a wedge and a, and a hammer and a sledgehammer, eventually an ax, and then started you know, you know, using a chainsaw when I was probably 11 years old. and, and uh, working at his side whenever I wasn't in school. So, you know, I, I, I just, I knew that if I wasn't at school, I was working. I, I didn't do a lot of homework, didn't care about homework. And uh, he didn't care if I did homework because he'd rather have me work with him. So, so it was either school or work for me. And, and so I learned work ethic from my dad and that was a blessing. Um, many people that watch me work around him uh, and my sisters as well. 
really believe that he was an abusive guy back then even, right? Because you're always working. Uh, so either way, that, that, so what did I learn back then? I, I, in watching my dad deal with these customers, I learned, you know, good customer service and bad customer service. My, my dad, uh, it was an old, uh, not old, I mean, that, that time a young guy, but he's always kind of a hard ass, right? And so my, my dad uh, was setting his ways, no matter what those ways were. And, and he would believe he did the customer a great job. And even if the customer didn't believe he did a good job, he would convince him that he did, right? Because he was, he was a bigger dude. And he, you know, like you, Joe, a little shorter version of you maybe, right? But, 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 he, was, but he, was, uh, he was a little more, uh, like I said, a little more of a bullying type of guy, whether he, he knew it or liked it or not. Um, so either way, my dad always got paid. He always, uh, he always thought he did the best job for the customer. And oftentimes he did. Um, but never got to be great at anything because he did so many things. He did, he did, so he did trees, he did trimming, he did sold firewood. He started doing uh, dirt work, you know, little gravel, little gravel and dirt work around people's yards with his truck and an old bobcat he bought. He bought a really old little, tiny little bobcat, no, no cage on it. And I began running that at like 10, 11 years old and, and became really efficient on it by the time I was 12, 13 years old. But bottom line is my dad did, did probably 10 to 10, 12 different things for customers but never got great at anything. Once he, once he got paid for a job, he really looked upon himself as he's, he's an expert, he's a professional now, and, and he didn't really strive to learn a lot more or be great at any of the things he was doing, in my opinion, right? My dad might think differently, but in my opinion, never got great at anything. So my thing was number one, as I got to be older, was how do I get away from my dad? How do I, I, I my dad was a controlling guy. I mean, I, I didn't mind working hard, but he was a controlling guy, and it was his way or the highway. So as I got to be 15, 16 years old, he's telling me that, hey, someday I can go to work for him. And in my mind, I'm saying, man, I don't really want to go to work for you, right? I mean, this is not my dream thing is working for my controlling dad. I couldn't say it to him at that time because I wasn't big enough to take a hit from him at that time, right? And, and it wasn't, it was, it wasn't uh, uh, abnormal for it to get a slap upside the head from a big hand and, or a kick in the butt or whatever. And so I, I was a pretty good kid. Uh, my younger brother was different. My younger brother, two years behind me, was a kid that constantly, constantly created havoc. Uh, didn't didn't want to go to work from at all with, with him at all. Um, stayed home a lot. But uh, my dad, my, my dad would, uh, uh, you know, with, with with John, my brother Johnny, little Johnny, right? He was uh, always kind of in trouble here and there. And uh, and my dad would, you know, would, uh, uh, you know, would would be bothered by him. So often it was just me working with him. Um, anyway, so but bottom line is my my dad. Uh, raised me with work ethic and and uh, even though he was a, he was a hard ass guy he showed he was a loving guy right he always showed love and so you know he, he would kick you in the ass one you know one point in the day or slap you upside the head without, without you knowing it's coming right and it, and it, it was it, it was uh, not a, not a light tap usually and uh and yet at the end of the day he would tell you how much he loves you and, and boy you know what he only he only he only kicked you in the ass because you you know you, you did something stupid and it was his, his reaction Sorry for that slap upside the head for that backhand, but man, you know what? You really pissed me off, right? I mean, uh, and, and, and what you said or what you did or whatever. So again, but it'd be always showed love. So no matter what, my, my, my dad is a big blessing in my life. He showed his work ethic. He showed his love. I had a mother that was amazing also, always positive, always showing love. So, so again, but, but my, my thing back then was, is, is um, you know, the golden rule. I learned the golden rule at a young age. I heard somebody talk about it at 17, 18 years old is just treat people like you'd like to be treated, right? And, and my dad, it, it, I don't believe, you know, focused on that rule as well as, as, well as I thought he should. And, and uh, so, so I eventually went to work for a paving guy at, at 13, 14 years old through high school. When I wasn't working for my dad, when he was working in a factory, 
I'd work for this paving guy grading driveways for him because I got to be really efficient on that little bobcat. And this guy had a, a case uniloader, skid, case skid steer, um, and, and it was a 1735 back then in the, in the 70s. And, and so I'd run that, his machine, grading driveways. And eventually I told my dad, hey, dad, I like this case. The, the hand control is better than the foot and hand. And eventually my, my dad got a case, load, uh, 18, 1830, I think it was back then. Um, but anyway, bottom line is got to be very efficient on these machines. And, and, and I liked the paving business this guy was doing. I liked it a lot because my dad didn't like it at all. So my dad didn't like the paving business. My dad would help deliver, deliver asphalt to this, this company, a guy out of Antioch, Illinois, actually. And, uh, and, and I liked it because my dad didn't like it. And I'm like, man, the guy I was working for was doing mediocre quality work at best. I watched customers knowing that he wasn't treating me like they like to be treated, right? And I, and I knew in my head that there was an opportunity for business because this guy had a lot, of, a lot of driveways to pave consistently. And yet his quality was mediocre and his service was, was mediocre. And he didn't really care about the customers or treating like treating like he'd like to be treated, right? So that was a golden rule was something that I, I, I've always lived my life thinking, you know, how, how do I treat my, my friends, my customers, my teammates, right? How do I treat them like I would like to be treated, right? If I'm an, if I'm an employee, I don't want to be treated like an employee. I want to be treated like part of the team. And, I, and so I, I was a competitive guy in sports, football, uh, wrestling in high school. Um, and, and in those sports, I learned, you know, teamwork. I had coaches that taught teamwork. And, man, that's, that's what I want to be. If I'm an employee, I don't want to be called employee. I want to be part of the team. So I began calling my, 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 my uh, teammates teammates and not employees. Um, and and uh, like you, instead of boss, you know, leader is a good terminology. Um, but, but, but and, and as long as you're inspiring more leadership to grow, that's a great terminology because you, you know, you want, you want other leaders to take on the reins. Right. But so, so that golden rule was probably one of the first things I learned is how, how do I treat people like they don't want to be treated? How do you do it? Pave a driveway for somebody that, that, that they're going to be proud of, like I am proud of their the driveway I paid for them. So I think that that's the first big lesson I learned is a simple thing. Right. But, but I think it's a, something if everybody thought that way consistently, you know, how do you treat others like you'd like to be treated? Not, not that we're perfect, not that we're going to always do it, right? But if we can strive to do it, I think you, you've, you've, uh, you're in good shape, right? You're in better shape than many. Yeah, well, um, so that, that's and, 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 yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head. And, I mean, and that's why, to me, it's, as you explained that, it's no wonder um, that Rayvine Paving grew like it grew, right? I mean, that was going to be one of my next questions is, you know, what do you attribute in my opinion, your explosive growth at Rayvine Paving, um, especially going from a local company to a national company now, right? Um, and so, you know, that's kind of the next thing that I want you to speak on, but it's a good platform to go off of is what you just said. You know, you, you saw an opportunity from mediocre pavers, so you differentiated, right? You, you said, okay, we're going to, from what I just heard you say, we're going to treat people how I want to be treated and we're going to get them to be as proud and passionate about their driveways as I am. And I, I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but that then I think morphed into parking lots and bigger stuff. So why don't, why don't you expand on to that and talk about how you took this initial idea, leaving your dad, um, starting to do this other stuff and then um, grew this, this awesome company and organization. Yeah. So for, for me, for me guys, I, I mean, I, I think it. uh, you know, uh, it, early on, I didn't get it. I didn't understand how to scale. I, I built it, you know, myself, actually, myself and my dad initially, because right, I ended up not, I not wanting to work with my dad anymore. I wanted to do paving. I ended up, uh, uh, my dad muscled himself into a partnership with me in early, early, in early on and, uh, you know, again, love my dad. But boy, 
he wasn't the the the, the perfect partner that, that for me and and we fought we had fist fights on jobs i got to be a, a you know as big as my dad and, and and i was a bodybuilder and everything else i wrestled wrestled as a young guy so i got to be much tougher so eventually as i got tougher I, I, I would uh, you know challenge my dad a lot more, and a lot of times we would end up to fist fist at each other. Well, I, I can tell you, I never threw a fist at my dad, but he he was never afraid to throw one at me, and and he, and I think he, you know he would admit that. But either way, uh, bottom line is as we got as I got to be a little older, you know, my tw- 19, 20, 21, and I wanted to do this business. Um, you know, I really wanted to do it on my own, but then my my dad came eventually uh, loaned me some money for a piece of equipment, and then. You know, after I got the equipment, we're very productive, making good, you know, making you know, uh, good money with higher production. Uh, my dad, you know, kind of said, "Okay, we're partners now." And I said, "No, we're not." And, and we went back and forth. And after arguing for a couple of days, we, you know, uh, on the paving work that I wanted to be, you know, do individually on my own, he became a partner eventually with me. But um, and at the time, I'd been working for him by the hour because he he'd left the factory after I graduated high school. Before I graduated high school, left the factory, he was doing all the stuff on his own. And it was uh, final grades and grading. It was it was it was sewer hookups uh, around Lake County, Illinois, because septics were going to sewers. It was uh, it was um, seawalls. We would do ret- uh, retaining walls around the chain of lakes. We do riprap seawalls, stonework, right? And we we did again like 10, 15 different things for customers that that would you know that homeowners. And 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 guess he did he did fine, right? He was he was, he was doing. Uh, uh, you know, I'm guessing four or five hundred thousand dollars a year in revenues, and you know he profited really well. He had no full-time employees, and I got out of high school, and it was in, in with with a with a vision of my own business, and you know worked for him at the time, big money. I think it was about thirteen, fourteen bucks an hour back then, nineteen eighty eighty-one. That was pretty good money, but I did it with a chip on my shoulders. I was eventually going to start a business, and I you know I I was embarrassed a couple times that I wasn't you know wasn't going to college, and the ditch digger CEO was derived from the the, the terminology a friend of mine used and laughed at me in study hall, calling me, you know, saying I'm going to be a ditch digger, and that's you know the world needs ditch diggers, Ray Bine, right? So that that story I talk about, but but you know I, well, I we're going to get to that story too, Gary. By the way, that that's actually one of my questions. So you're going to get to explain ditch digger CEO in a minute. Yeah, so, so that's a, that was a chip on my shoulder, right? So yeah. for me, it's good to carry chips on your shoulder if they're positive chips, and you can look at them and say, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove such and such, right? I'm going to prove somebody wrong. I'm going to prove that I can do this myself to somebody else, whatever. And I think that's a good thing. So either way, what, what for me, my goal was to be a paving paving guy or landscaping guy. So I was going to be in your business or, or paving back then because I've, I've, I've done enough landscaping, not, not really enough in horticulture and all that, but I did a lot of turf stuff. I did hardscapes. And, and so I was either going to go landscaping or paving. I was, I was focused on that. My dad didn't like the landscaping side. He didn't like turf he didn't you know he didn't like doing any type of um turf or uh, or, or um, uh, horticulture he didn't like doing shrubs and bushes and nothing he had to guarantee that he want to do right so um so that was the other thing it was one of those two things i wanted to do and that and, and uh anyway you're, you're so so the story about ditch your ceo you're gonna you ask that question but um in high school uh first first of all i had a a couple of uh pot- potential wrestling scholarships and uh and I, uh, my coach came in one day, senior year of high school, and I, I, I was, uh, I, I was pretty excited. This coach said, "Hey, Gary, there's a couple of schools that are interested in you." And and, and my senior year was the first year I got decent grades. I was probably in the top uh, 95% of my class, my first three years of high school, um, top 95%. Right, that's a big deal. And out, out of 100 kids, I was number 90, you know, probably 94. And uh, and 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 then. Uh, um, then, I, then all of a sudden, my senior year, I said, you know, I'm going to try and get good grades. And I got pretty good grades. I got, you know, mostly A's, a couple B's, and 
and, and I moved myself in the top 75% of my class, right? I didn't really think that it was still, I was still college material or anything, but my coach, you know, thought that was, that was important. I should think about it. Um, and came to me with a couple of schools that were interested in partial wrestling scholarships for me. So I thought about it a little bit. And that a couple of days later, I was raking dirt. So think about, you know, final grading a yard. My dad and I are, you know, you know, 50, 100 feet away, whatever it was. And, and while we're raking, we talk about different things. I'm raking dirt and with a, with a nice, you know, I, I can tell you, you probably use the same rakes today, the same landscape rakes today. And, uh, and, and so, you know, maybe an acre of yard and we're raking it after I final graded it. My dad's, you know, away from me. I'm saying, hey, dad, I forgot to tell you. I said, I, you know, a coach came in this week and said that there's a potential, you know, wrestling scholarship that I could go after for, you know, a couple schools. Um, I'm thinking maybe it'd be a good idea to go to college for business or something. I could wrestle. It'd be fun to, you know, compete. And, and he said, uh, he, he looked at me, scratched, scratched his head, looked at me again. He took his head off. College. He says, you're too effing stupid to go to college. He goes, I didn't go to college. And look at all I got. Right. So that, that was his mentality. I wasn't, you know, smart enough to go to college and maybe he was right. I didn't go. Right. Uh, but either way, um, you know, that was his mentality. He didn't, he didn't say it to be mean. He said it cause that's sincerely what he believed. He didn't go to college. You know, he, uh, he, he didn't know that he was smart enough to go to college. And in hindsight, I think he would have been, and I probably would have been as well. But bottom line is, uh, that was the confidence he didn't have in me for school, right? He knew I could work hard, knew I could make money, but he didn't understand that, you know, college probably wasn't as difficult as he thought. Um, so, so then shortly after that, I'm, I'm in study hall and, and a bunch of friends of mine around a table, a bunch of athletes and, and friends, and, uh, and, and they're talking about where they're going to college. And, and then and, and it, and one, one friend of mine and neighbor says, hey, Gary, where, where are you going to college? And he knew I wasn't going to college. I said, Al, no, I'm not going to college again. I mean, I started a paving business or, or a landscaping business. And he said, uh, he said, oh, so you're, he said, you know, lightly, you know, low, in a low voice. Oh, so you're going to be a ditch digger. Hey, Ray Ryan, the world needs ditch diggers. And that was, uh, that was a year after Caddyshack came out, right? So that term, that, 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 that was famous from Caddyshack. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't think much of it. And then a few, you know, 10 seconds later, he yells to the, to the study hall of 30, 40 kids, whatever it was in the study hall, uh, not just to the table we're sitting, sitting around, but he says, so, uh, Raybine's going to be a ditch digger. <laughs> like that, right? So it was a little bit embarrassing at the time. And, uh, but my thing was, you know, I looked around the room and I looked at my, my friend who said it and I said, you know, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to prove to you guys that, that, uh, it's okay not to go to college. And I, and my goal was to make more money than they can make up, you know, four years out of college that I'd be making more than they were making within a short period of time. And by the time they got to college with the debt they would have had back then, it would have been big debt, right? It would have been big debt back then, 30, 40 grand probably, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so for me, it was, hey, you know what? I'm going to prove that, that I, I can better myself without a college education. I'm going to get a big jump start on them. So sure enough, that's what, that's, that was on my mind on a consistent basis. So you think about short-term goals, long-term goals. My, 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 my midterm goal of you know, four years is my friends are getting out of college and I'm making great money, and they're looking for jobs, making a heck of a lot less, right? And Gary, let me ask you a question. Did, did any of those friends that laughed in that study hall, did they ever come to you and ask you for a job later on in life? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, because personally, that happened to me. It, we, we share so many commonalities here, so I just I need yeah. to know if we share this also. Yeah, that person actually that did come back look, you know, talking about a job. Now, I didn't, never gave him one, but he asked what, what, what we're doing, if, if, if there's any opportunity. Um, one of one of his cousin who was at the table definitely worked for me for some time, 
Um, didn't, didn't work out. He wasn't a hard enough working guy, but he worked for me for some time. And, and then a couple other people at the table also did, you know, through college, after college, whatever. But um, yeah, either way. Yeah. And then, and then that wasn't, I could care less if that happened or not. Right. But that, that's just, but either way. So that, that's a chip on your shoulder, right? My other chip on my shoulder was that my, my dad said, you can't just pave. You got to do everything. My dad believed you had to do everything. And Hey, that's not a bad concept. If you, if you want to be Jack, all, Jack of all trades, master of none and, and do a lot of stuff and get by and make money. Right. You used to be made, he made good money, he made good profits for, for a guy um, and, and supporting himself in a job. So my thing was, I knew that I could do one thing and be great at it, and, and that was the thing I became most passionate about, paving, paving driveways, paving parking lots. And so it took, a, it took me a long time, though. I mean, it, when, you, when you think of uh, the podcast you're doing, the podcast I'm doing, right, is, is for a reason. So people can do things faster and get there faster than I did. For the first 10 years, um, you know, I, I, I was uh, partners with my dad and, and uh, bought him out in, in 1993 because we had our last fist fight that, that really bothered me, pissed me off that... I had uh, lots of customers standing watching us in a, in a, at, a, at a commercial uh, parking lot we were paving. There was lunchtime, and, 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 and in the cafeteria, there's was, there was a glass wall of only 100 feet away from where we are working, and my dad and I had a fist fight in the job, and it was pretty embarrassing after we, were, we, got, we got broken up by my guys, uh, one of my, our foremen at the time. It was pretty embarrassing. All these people were watching, right? So I said, yeah, we're done. I'm not going to work with you again. I'm never going to have this happen again. It's embarrassing. And, and eventually, uh, it took about eight months after that before I, I, I had a deal that he agreed on to buy him out. So that was 1993 into 1994. But again, up to that point, I still don't understand how to really build a business that's scale, a scalable business. I was built, building a job. I, you know, we built a job for myself and my dad and an income for us, but not really enterprise value. Not, and and that's, I think that should be everybody's goal in business is to build, you know, build a business that, that builds enterprise value outside the value of that that founder and that leader, right, or leaders. And, and that wasn't happening for us up until then. So it was probably, you know, probably 15 years in where I discovered differentiation and how it could work if you can def differentiate very strong from your competition. And so differentiation was, became my, my focus on a consistent basis. And so my, in my mind, it was how do I differentiate from my customers to be stronger than them, to get more opportunity than them, to serve my customers better than them, right? I was a very competitive guy. Um, I still am today as a, at 57 years old. I, I like to compete at anything. Uh, if somebody tells me they got a contest going on, uh, I may suck at it, but I'm, I'm, I'm in, right? Whatever that I is. I know. We, we, were, we were supposed to arm wrestle, but this just didn't work out because we're doing this. And, and by the way, I, I am impressed with the amount of pull-ups you can do. You, you want to tell people? I, sorry, sorry, I just interrupted, but this is this is this no, is kind no. of a funny little thing. There's, there's, a, there's a few things I'm good at in life, or I've been I've been good at, and you know one thing I've, I've continually done is pull ups. I, I'll do sets of you know thirty. I started thirty four, thirty five, and I go down to my last set of you know, my last set when I work out for 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 back and buys, right? It's it's <laughs> pull ups I do, and, and I'll do it you know four sets of thirty or more, right? And actually they're chin ups now. They're not pull ups, right? I used to do a military style, and I could do over thirty when I was in wrestling and stuff. Um, but, but now because of bad shoulder, I have to do the kind of sissy way, right? The, the chin ups instead of <laughs> did, did you hear Julia and Gary? Hold on. That's the way I do it. <laughs> chin ups. How many can you do, Julie? Julia? Well, I haven't tried in a while. I would say if I really push myself, maybe 10, but that's about it in one, in one set. Wait, that's awesome. Not on your I mean, level yet. I know this sounds so chauvinistic and people can call me that sometimes, even though I know I'm not, but for, for a woman, that's awesome, right? Ten is awesome for a woman. I have a, 
I have one of my daughters same way that naturally can do a lot of pull-ups and she's about the same. She can do 10, 12 pull-ups, right? And, and, uh, and I have a son, Nick, who a uh, little Russian guy, right? You guys have met Nick. Yeah, we yeah. met him, yeah. Nick can do 35 to 40 and he's got amazing strength for, for a, a, a little guy. And it helps if your lower body is scrawny and I have that going for me, right? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, so Gary, I can do about 10, but I'm, I'm packing, I'm about 270 pounds. So I'm actually worried I'm going to rip the door jam off when I'm <laughs> yeah. doing it, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, that's a lot for a big dude, right? I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a, I've, I've been 100, I'm 170 pounds. I've gone from 170 to 190 pounds over the last 34 years, depending on uh, how much I'm working out. But, uh, but either way, bottom line is, you know, I'm competitive. So, so with everything I do, I want to be, I want to be, you know, great. I want to find somebody to compete with to kick, kick the crap out of, right? In yeah. a nice way, in a nice yeah. way. I'm not, I'm not a violent guy, but I do want to, I do want to kick the crap out of the competition or whatever I do. And so by, by the time that differentiation that came, came along, um, you know, I, I realized I was getting work because I was studying my industry and, and striving to be great at it. So I picked up some things that other people weren't doing at, at conferences and talking to engineers across the, across the country that I, that I respected. Um, and so in 2000, excuse me, 1995, probably maybe the year after I, I bought my dad's share out of the business, I came up with a slogan, uh, discover the difference. So what it means is as our customers are doing business with us, Hey, discover what we do different and ask the question, what the heck does that slogan mean? Right. And, and then as, as teammates on my team, I want you guys to always think about what are you doing different every day to serve our customers and make us better than our competition, right? And I, and I have a tendency to hire competitive people also. And if you're not competitive, you don't care about, about going beyond, you may not work out for long, in the long haul in our businesses, right? Um, so, so competitive nature, I think, is a good thing as long as you use it in a positive way on a consistent basis. So, so with the differentiation, that became our, 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 our focus. How do we differentiate to be better than anybody else in the industry. And then in 2000, 2001, we were doing some cool stuff that nobody else in the world was doing. So I, was, I went to my team of, let's say at the time, maybe it was maybe it was 20, 30 people all together at that time. And, and so again, we're not, a very, we're not a huge business at this point. We're a $6 million company probably. And I'm like, man, you know what? We're, we're, we're doing some cool things here with some of the stuff we're doing in concrete pavements and, and this uh, you know, pavement texturing, street print stamp concrete. Um, infrared patching. These are things that nobody in the market does until we do it. And, and some of these things we, we picked up when nobody else in the world's doing it, right? And so we're, let's try, let's forget about this competing lo locally and regionally with our competition. Let's talk about world-class. And my team would kind of roll their eyes at that world-class, right? World-class, we're, we're a $6 million company. Come on, how can you say that? And, and, and so my focus then was, was okay, I get that you don't, you don't get it, but, but I, but I'm telling you guys, if we focus on, and girls, if we focus on world class, if we don't get there, we fall short, we're still going to be pretty doggone good. We're going to be pretty successful. If, we, if we're not the best in the world, right, world class to me is the top, 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 top 5%, top 1%, you could call it top 1%, top 5%. It's probably world class, you probably consider world class, in my opinion, if you're a top 5%. So I said, we can get there in every aspect to be world class. So how do you do that? And I, I started to, to, to seek uh, information from engineers, not only in our country, but outside our country, um, people in our industry that are the best in our country and then outside the country. And eventually I became friends and, and networked with some of the best minds in the world in concrete pavements and asphalt pavements. And so eventually in 2005 or six came along and got through a big union battle and, and, and really, uh, you know, we're licking our wounds from a big union battle in 2001 to 2004. But but 2005 six are back on our feet. We're growing fast, 
and uh, we grew from six million to twenty million in two years, and and with a, with a view of a hundred million in our, in our sites, right? And and the only reason I had that could have that view is because I I then was understanding if I'm world class, I have to build enterprise value, I have to scale to be world class, I have to I have to be able to serve a bigger market to be world class, right? And 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 unfortunately, I'm not saying fortunately or unfortunately, use dollars kind of are. what what's the, what are the biggest commercial paving companies in the country? Who are they? I identified them. I became friends with many of them. I, I, I started a forum with, with some of them, right? So we can get to be friends and understand how we can all get to be stronger and better. Um, anyway, bottom line is, uh, you know, at the time it was, it was 20, $30 million a year companies that were the biggest in the country. And so I knew, okay, I can, I can, I can blow past that and, and be bigger, bigger, but if you measure size bigger, but how can I be better? How can I work for customers, the best, the biggest and best buyers of pavements in the country and serve them better than anybody else? That would be world-class, right? So we, we figured out how to pave concrete faster than anybody in the world. We figured out how to use mixed designs that other people in the world weren't using and concrete pavements mostly, some asphalt paving. Um, we figured out how to use, uh, um, you know, technology in the field for, you know, uh, 3D technology when it was first being developed and led in that space. And it's dominant, dominating our space for the best, uh, best uh, contractors in the country today. Um, so we're constantly figuring out what, what, what it takes to be the best. And, and it was because we surround ourselves with people that are abundant thinkers, abundant thinkers that think about being great, being world-class, right? What, what's, uh, you know, what, what normal engineering in our space that I would talk to are very, very book oriented. Engineers in our space would read out of the book the specs that are supposed to be on the job. What I, had to, what I found out was some of the leaders of the national and global organizations for pavements were the people I gravitated to the most because they're always thinking outside the box, challenging the standard specifications. And what I found out through all those relationships were standard specifications by industry were stagnant and old and, and, and not always, and very, very often, not the right specifications. But we relied on them because unions, lobbyists had, had forced them and kept them in place for lower productivity. And, and less longevity of pavement life, okay? Sounds crazy, but I'm very confident today if, 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 our, if, our, if our budgets, our state budgets and our federal budgets were based on longevity and warranty every time, you would see way more innovation than the stagnation we have today where the, the, the specs are based on enge engineering principles from 30 years ago and, and the unions and the, and the um, lobbyists for materials often stunt the progression of those and the innovation of those because it hurts their labor, it hurts their material sales, right? Um, so again, what, what, what we became was a commercial commercial paving company that began to understand pavements and, and, and materials better than our competition across the globe. And I, I can tell you many things happened from that, but now the scaling mindset starts, right? How do you scale? Well, you, you need to find great systems, great products, great differentiation, great customers, and then, and then duplicate the greatness uh, as you scale across the country. And that's what we've done. Um, we've, we've, then, we've then, of course, uh, invested and built other, many other companies, some with great success, some with no success. My own, my own mindset as a kid, uh, as you know, striving to be great at one thing, if I stuck with that mindset, boy, I'd be, I, don't, I don't have to be any wealthier than I am, but I'd be a lot more wealthier today than I, than I am today if I stuck with pavements because I got into – uh, you know, fuel oil, oil distribution business. I got into uh, union roofing business, got into businesses that kick my butt when it comes to uh, financials, right? Um, but I learned from them. every single time I've lost money and I've lost a lot. Um, I always seek out the lesson to learn. And, and one thing I'll tell you, and I, I think uh, 
Julia needs to know is, you know, pride kills all good things. And, you know, times in my life have been prideful saying, oh, heck yeah, man, I could buy that business and turn it around. Or I can start that business and we'll be, we'll be great just, we, just like we are in parking lots, right? And, and uh, you know, maybe I would be if I could focus on that long enough and, and, and stick with it. And I had people that were, were, were passionate about it. But in many cases, you know, I, I spread myself too thin, jumping in a business I shouldn't have been in. Um, I, I'm back to my, my roots, and my roots are serving facilities owners uh, across America today. Um, parking lots are our biggest business, not still, um, but we do roofing maintenance for the, these customers. We do um, pipe televising with robots underground. We do, um, uh, you know, we, we do um, assessments of, of uh, pavements and roofs and facades and HVAC and everything with a company we own called Site, a technology company called Site. Um, we're in the doors and docks business, right? But what all these things have in common, these 10 businesses we have today outside the golf course, because the golf course is something I'd love to consider a business, but it's like impossible to make money in it. So I, I, I just write it off as it's a fun, fun thing that so, we like so to Gary, do. So Gary, I'm going to interrupt you because one day yeah. I am going to collaborate with you and I'm going to help you make money at that golf course when we automate it. Okay. All right. I, I, I know we've been talking about it a lot here and there, but, but, but I have actually been waiting for a couple of other product launches. Um, because we have, you know, I see you as such a mentor because I, I'm going to hit on a couple of things really quick so that I make sure I bring this value. You know, you bring up, you wanted to become world class at about six million, okay? And what I think is funny, and it's important for me to say, especially for other people listening, you said, you know, we weren't big then, okay? But when you were a six million dollar company, there's a lot of people in your organization that thought you were massive. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of dealing with the same thing right now. You know, we're doing six million in revenue for snow and six million in revenue for landscaping, and I'm telling people we need more. There's not a lot of Garys and Joes. There's a lot of people looking at me saying, my own brother, for instance, what do we need more than six million dollars for? Like, like that's a lot of revenue. Like, you know, just more headaches. You know, and um, so a we have that in common. And, and I I want to ask, how old were you when you were doing six million? So that was uh, 2001. So I was I was 35, right? 30 is that right? 2001. So yeah. So seven. So it's okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm 41. I take I take that back. So 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 basically 19 years ago, right? So I was uh, 38. 38. Okay. So so see, I mean, there's so many things that I just I, I only want to do this because really you are besides you are my third interview on my podcast. Okay. So it was myself. Julia, now Gary Rabine. Why? Because I look at you and, and there's so much to be learned from people in similar industries, okay? Because there's parallel things we deal with. And, you know, you hit on a few things is, you know, we all reach a point in our professional career. Uh, and, I, and I think people like us, you know, I've heard on your podcast, you know, we talk about the entrepreneurial disease, okay? So people that have the, the want to always grow and get better and better ourselves, and we're so competitive. Um, we're at $6 million and, and I know I can achieve more, right? So I, I, I think it's amazing that you did it because I look, that's inspiration for me. When I hear you say $100 million, I throw that number around all the time, you know? Lightning Group could be doing $100 million, you know? Secondly, I heard you say what it takes to be world-class is 5%. One of the things that I'm always talking to my team about is that, you know, let, let's get ourselves not to be seen as a great local business, but 
an organization that's recognized across country. So there's a lot to be learned, even for me, as the person interviewing you on the podcast. It's just purely inspirational. But when when I when I hear you starting to get in to some of the things you're saying is focus on one thing. What it seems like to me is you've made this, you've kind of morphed into something that I feel like we're already doing, which is you're taking your portfolio of business and saying we do big parking lots. So what else can we do in parallel to that? Not step too far out of our comfort zone, but still bring a value to our core base of customers. Would you say that's really what you're doing with your other businesses? Yeah. So, so just you know, the, the two the couple. I've had, like I said, I, I counted 25 businesses I started in the last 20 years, and I ten, you know, 10, and, and you know, you can call it probably 13 or 14, but really, really 10 for-profit uh, businesses today. And and when when I look at these businesses, I I'm confident that when they failed, it was because I jumped into something that I didn't have the time to learn everything about, and I and I and I, and I jumped into it with a leader or a partner that I trusted had it all covered, that was going to be as passionate as I am in paving, that was going to really drive the growth. And, and, and I guess what, I've had some success with that too. I've got, I've got a few businesses where, you know, that's the case today. I've got partners that are doing all, of, all the work, their CEOs, these companies kicking butt, right? So it's worked in some cases, but often it doesn't. The reason it works in the cases that, that are working today for us is they're serving the same customers that we built the great, you know, great trusting relationships with, right? The big facilities, small facilities, and big facilities owners that trust us. And if we, if Rayvine does the job, it's going to be done right. And if there's a problem, they're going to be back, right? And so, so they, they, these these companies that we're in today are culturally very aligned with 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 our core values. They're all the same core values. They're working for the same customers. They understand the customers' expectations. They're striving to be world class. Every company we have. So the ones we failed on, in my opinion, and I, I think it's, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty accurate on it. After you know, it's a, le- it's a lesson. Lessons that cost me tens of millions of dollars, right? So, so these lessons, when when they, when you learn these lessons, you don't forget them because it costs you so much. And I think that's a, a blessing, right? To to have a, a have a cost in a lesson. I mean, you 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 do a uh, you know, you you. you uh, in school, let's say you, you take a test, you fail the test, you get a bad grade. Oh, okay, well, right? Maybe you learn a little because you really care. In my case, I didn't care that much in school, so it didn't really, I didn't learn much from my mistakes. And in and, and business, when it costs you, you know, a few hundred thousand bucks or a few million, in my case, you know, one, one mistake cost me $15 million, right? And, and when those happen, my, my whole question to myself is, okay, how do I learn from this lesson so it never happens again? And how do I learn from this lesson that, that I can, I, it pays off? 10 times over. So the 15 million comes back to me tenfold, right? And that lesson hasn't come back to me tenfold yet, but I, I'm still, I'm still, it's a chip on my shoulder. It's going to, and I can go into why, but bottom line is, so the businesses that failed are businesses that we, uh, we were working for customers that were different from the customers we normally work for. The roofing union roofing company was for municipalities. It was the city of Chicago. It was O'Hare airports. We thought this was great, right? Until it wasn't. And, and it's still, it's, it's, a, it's a gift that keeps on giving to me right now. I've got more stuff still in the business I shut down three years ago is coming back at me. Um, and I think it's politically driven in Chicago, but whatever, that's a whole different story. Um, the, the, the fuel distribution company, um, very, fine, very small margin that I thought I could grow and, and a business that was very, very commoditized that I thought I could differentiate. And, and uh, unfortunately, the differentiation we came up with worked for a short period of time, but not, it wasn't sustainable. So that business, uh, in one full swoop over an eight-month period, cost me $15 million. 
I, I, I said, okay, that's enough. I sold out of it, lost, just lost a ton of money out, but sold out of it to, to, to live the fight another day. And, 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 and what, I, what I learned from that is I was in a business that was a commoditized business that I pridefully said, ah, I'll figure that out. We're, we're going we're gonna to partner. We're going to find the, the best minds in the world in, that, in, in, in fuel distribution. We'll get that figured out like everything else. Boy, we tried. And I had a leader in the business that, that I thought was a you know, pretty, pretty strong, strong leader that, uh, that, that you know, in, in the end made some big mistakes. Uh, my mistakes in the long run more than his because I hired him, right? And I didn't, I, I didn't, you know, put the right metrics in place to watch him like I could have. He wasn't a bad guy, just a guy that made some bad decisions because it wasn't his neck on the line. So, so my neck got, got shot for, for $15 million and, and he, went, he was able to go find another job, right? No problem. So, so again, but back, back looking at that, we were working for different customers in both of those industries. We were, we were, we were in products that were pretty commoditized in both industries, uh, companies that we could hardly differentiate because it was union laborers, union labor, and, and, and O'Hare or Chicago looks for the same stuff. And they're, they're, they're abusive uh, on, on contractors and how fast they pay. They're abusive in, in how they treat you after the fact. Um, and then the fuel business, again, like I said, very, very commoditized. You're, you're, what's your price? What's your price? What's your price every day? And, and, and you couldn't do anything to, to hedge the price up to be a fair profit. So, so that, that business is a 1% profit, net profit business annually probably on average in the industry. We were trying to get to 2 or 3% and we thought that's a fair profit. So either way, that, that those are businesses working for different customers, working in different industries. And I pride in both cases, ah, we can do this. We can build these business. We'll figure out how to differentiate and we'll kick, kick ass like we've done everything else. Well, that didn't work out so well. So, so again, I, I think that um, commoditization is, is a tough thing. If you're, if you're, the, if you're the, you know, the 50 pound gorilla in the industry, maybe you can afford to, 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 to work for 1% for a while, you know, driving out other competitors and then enter the, you know, then bring your margins up. I'm not sure. Right. But I think any business where you're the you're you're in a commoditized space isn't good. And there's a there's a book that I recommend that I, I may have recommended it to you before, but uh, I think I talk about it on my podcast too. It's called Blue Ocean Strategy. Blue Ocean Strategy is simple, simple read, right? And and all it is is it's it's it's, it's just the the um, story after story and how people have been in that shark infested. Visualize you're in shark infested waters and and the shark are just just biting each other. It's bloody shark infested waters, right? And I don't want to be there. How do you swim away from that, right? Out to the blue ocean, right? Where there's, there's not the, 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 that's, you're not a commodity being, being nipped at, right? And, and uh, in the bloody waters of, of commoditization, and that's, that's blue ocean strategy. How do you differentiate to swim out there in that blue ocean on your own in a market where people want to do business with you because your value proposition is so strong that, that they don't want to deal with the commoditized market. They know that, hey, you know what? You can get that done really cheap or you can get it done really great. And I'm gonna choose great on this job because it's a picky customer. I got a class A building, it's gotta be great. I want Rayvine, right? And so you have to then also be okay with not doing work for everybody, right? Because customers want to commoditize you in most cases, in many cases, right? So you gotta work for customers, you gotta find the customers that want, they want, the, they want great. They don't want headaches. They want, they want to know the job's done right, they can sleep well at night. So you have to find those customers too. And we've done that in our paving industry and the facilities industry. Our customers are awesome. I mean, not, not to say you always have to replace customers, I think, on an annual basis as you grow. And, uh, but, but overall, our customers are some of the best in the world. And they, they work with us to, to, to innovate and to be better. And they know that when, when it comes to innovation, we're the name they're going to look at, whether 
It's now it's doors and docks, it's roofing, it's roofing maintenance, it's pavements, concrete and asphalt. It's it's national, it's a national brand, it's a regional brand, right? We have um, in a few different regions today. Um, you know, it's 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 this pipe televising, it's that it's this technology business where we fly, fly drones all over people's properties and use satellite imagery. And and uh, you know, there's always something going on. So when pe people come to me and say, Hey, what's up, Rayvine? What you know, what's going on lately, right? And I've always got something fun going on because my businesses are constantly trying to be great. Okay, constantly striving to be the best in the world. Okay, so recently we signed a deal with a company. You might have saw it. I think we threw a post on LinkedIn and stuff. But it's a, it, we're, we're the only ones in America now, the only company in America because we partnered with an Israeli company that, that now our company's site that does all this due diligence on, we'll do about five or 6,000 properties this year where we'll fly them, big commercial properties, industrial properties, we fly them. We get them um, all their information they need to understand the condition of their pavements, condition of their roofs, condition of their, now, now we're doing facades. We're, we're, we're working on HVAC now, getting into that. Lighting, right? We have a bunch of different things, but we're super strong in pavements and roofs where we have great consultative minds and great engineers. And with that, they can make decisions, five-year budgets, 10-year budgets. They can understand their urgent needs. And this product site is growing rapidly. Now we've, we've, we've layered on another product where from satellite imagery, we can tell them where all the ground moisture is below the, below the pavement, okay? We can also tell them where the moisture is in insulation below the, the membrane of the roof, right? So what does that mean? Huge value. We, we, were, we were paying uh, tens of thousands of dollars for ground penetrating radar to do this, what we're talking about. We're doing this all from satellite imagery now from a company in Israel that, that's uh, the, the, the leader in the market. They, they, this, this company um, licensed the, te the, te the technology to uh, NASA. NASA can now figure out where all the water is on Venus, Mars, and other, other planets in our solar system, right? And it's, it's this, this company's technology that they, that they use. This company developed a, a, a business serving the private industry and municipalities all over the world, and, and I found, we found out about them. How did I find out about them? A friend of mine who understands how innovative we are and how we're always thinking forward gives me a call and says, Gary, I got I to introduce you to the CEO of this company we're looking at maybe buying a portion of. He says, uh, it's crazy, but I thought about your business site and what you guys are doing and how this might match up. And at the time, this company was only doing, uh, they're investigating ground, not groundwater, they're investigating uh, treated water leaking from pipes underground as much as 10 feet below the surface, okay? They can see water leaking as much as a gallon a, minute, a gallon an hour. So that's a slow leak anywhere in the world, okay? Anywhere in the, think about the whole world, the whole globe, they can, you can tell them an area 30 miles by, does like 30 miles by 20 miles, right? It's a big area. And they can tell you where all the leaking water is, you know, individual, one by one, right? So you give them one municipality, one property, whatever you want, and they can tell you where all the leaking water is, okay? So that was developed, you know, the last five, six years. So that when they came, when they came to me to meet me, they flew to Chicago to meet me. I said, hey, I love what you're doing. I can help you maybe, but... If you can figure out groundwater and hydraulic soils from moisture and, and, and soils, man, we got something big. And sure enough, within six, within six months, they developed it, flew, to, flew, to, flew back to Illinois from Israel, met with my son and I and our engineers, and, and we've got a product today, a, a year later, that's the only, only company in the world that can do what we do now, right? We're going to do Israel's site and this company with them in other markets in the world, but right now, we're, we're, we're perfecting this product here in, in the States first. So again, Site is now partners with the company Utilis, Utilis, and this product is second to none, right? It's, so, so it's easy to say, hey man, that, that company Site that's only gonna, you know, three year, not even three years old, right? Site is totally a world-class company, 
right? Nobody in the world can do what we do. So can you call yourself world-class? Hell yeah, you can, right? Yeah, well, so, so first of all, I did see that on LinkedIn and I thought it was amazing. I was actually kind of pissed off that uh, somehow AOS didn't get part of that automated outdoor, but what the next thought I had, both of us being in snow removal and understanding the liability, was how awesome is this gonna be for the snow removal industry, Gary? Because, you know, so many times in snow removal, we get caught up in some sort of slip and fall litigation that is not from anything falling from the sky. You know, there are these water leaks or soils that, you know, it's like, I think of uh, one of the Costco's we do that I'll keep the location nameless, but I know that water runs through that slab of CA6 there's a road I can look at that's above the grade of that parking lot. And in the middle of winter, there is water pushing up from every crack and crevice and curb line you could think of. And we're having to deal with the freeze, the, 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 the refreeze, resaltings. And um, in the world of seasonal snow removal, and maybe you already thought of this being in snow removal, and if you did it, I'm glad I inspired the thought on this podcast today. But it's amazing the, the amount of the amount of snow contractors that would be interested in that type of area so Joe, is huge. Perfect. So Joe, you you could use this as a product. It's not expensive. You could mark it up fifty percent for your time and energy that you would spend overseeing what you're doing, right? But it's an inexpensive product. It's a it's a thousand or two thousand dollars per property. Now, when you're on a big distribution center, a big commercial property. If you can tell a customer where their issues are and, and how to solve those, right? You got, you know, we, we have crews that put in undergrains, which is something, something we've always been good at is identifying groundwater, like you just talked about. When ground, you know, you can, you can identify when it's coming from the ground, right? Whether it's, yeah. whether it's remnants of the, of the, of the, the calcification, yeah, exactly. Whether it's limes, lime uh, fines or aggregate fines in the joints, you know it's coming up, not down, right? Okay, so so that's that's hydraulic soils, groundwater. It could be under 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 uh, surface, you know, you know, creeks in the ground or whatever, right? And so again, you can use that product all day long, Joe, and it's going to create value for you and your customers. And uh, and and we love it, right? We'd love you to take this product on. And say, hey, we're going to be a we're going to be a a partner of of sites, and we're going to use this product. So we haven't even gone there yet, right? We're using it selfishly for all ourselves and paid this specifically yeah. paid for more than snow. And, and, uh, and, and, but either way, bottom line, you can use this product and we'd say, Hey, Joe, use the heck out of it because yeah. you're going to help create great business for us and, and name recognition for us as well. Cause it's like one of our products, but, but it's going to make you smarter. So right now I'm selling, I'm selling this product, not selling it. I'm allowing, uh, um, our, our exclusive partners in paving across the country to use it, to make them, to, to take them to a level that I went from, I went from a, a uh, six million dollar company that that uh, let's say actually I would say three or four million revenues when I was giving away engineering for my customers. It, it was hillbilly engineering, right? It was me, my mind, and my experience with an engineer that I bounced things off of, right? So my hillbilly engineering worked well on customers that trusted me, not so well on customers that wanted to see the PE stamp on it, right? But either way, I was redesigning parking lots when they were, when they were talking about you know repaving parking lots at, at times. So a company would have twenty. In their portfolio, they had to redo. They would go to an engineering firm, and often the engineering firm goes right to the right right to the um, uh, specification book, and they go right by the book, right. And I would see how crazy they they were. They would re replace good aggregate base, good pavement that could be paved over, even many cases, thinking they're covering their butt and they're giving their customer a great product. And, and instead, they're costing them three times as much as they should. And so, what what did I figure out? I figured out 
boy, if you fix the groundwater that's causing all this problem first, and then you fix this, the aggregate base where it's been infected by soils, now that, that's only 5-10% of the parking lot, not all of it. And then, yeah. and then let's, after that, now we're going to build a better pavement on top that was, that, than, than what was there prior, right? A thicker pavement, a concrete pavement, whatever. And we're going to provide a product less for a lot, lot less money. And so back to that, we went from a $3 million company to $6 million because we we're giving away this engineering and, and our customers would give them their whole, our, their whole portfolio in the Chicago Internet and say, hey, man, look at it all and tell me what I can do better, right? And we would honestly save them a ton of money and, and uh, just looking out for their best interest, like we talked about it earlier, treating them like we'd like to be treated, right? And engineers would be bothered by this sometimes because we'd take some of their, their work, I guess. Um, but that grew into um, more of that. And we, we grew nationally because the same thing. We actually hired really good engineers then in the late 90s, early 2000s that were pavement-specific, groundwater and geo, geotex engineers that would go out and now for Walmart and Home Depot and Lowe's and all these bigger customers, we would do the same thing for them. They're like, oh my gosh, this is a value. So then they would want to include us in their bidding opportunities. So, so again, that's, that's how we've grown. So now what we can do for these, these small markets where we have, we call them, we call them exclusive certified partners that pave parking lots for us where we won't go, where we don't want to go, we don't need to go. We project manage our, our, our certified partners and we sell for them and we give them the Rabine brand in their market, the customer. But we have somebody in the marketplace that can be that's 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 going to be more efficient than we can be in doing the job. But these are we call exclusive certified partners. So these companies are companies that are five and ten million dollars in revenues. We're going to we're giving we're going to be giving them this product product site. They will be the experts that we were back then, right? The expert that we became in the early two thousands. They're going to be that now. So they'll grow. That the average size of let's say the top three companies in any major market are similar twenty thirty million dollar companies, right? These little five to ten million dollar companies, we can help them get to, to, to 15, 20, 30 million in their marketplace and be one of the best by giving them the, the expertise that we're going to be giving them. When I say giving it to them, they'll pay for us to, to fly the properties, do all this due diligence, but they're going to brand it themselves and be the experts in their marketplace with our information, right? And what are we going to get for that? We're going to get great data. We're going to get we're going to get uh, national relationships with their national customers that they can't, the national uh, uh, properties that they can't serve regionally, right? And what are they going to get? They're going to get expertise. They're going to get our backup and support. And they're going to get our work regionally when we have it. So it's a beautiful relationship that we're growing across the country and paving. But, so Gary, but yes. do you know Julia and I are doing the exact same thing with automated outdoor solutions? So we are doing the exact, like we're basically authorizing contractors with our expertise, with what we've developed. Sure. Like, like when you bring up site, and you said when you look at the amount of uh, revenue, even though site's a new company, you're still a world-class company because no one else is doing it. This is how Julie and I feel with AOS. No one else is taking robots and putting them on properties and putting them in service agreements and doing the okay, full so, service. Okay, so right, so right there, you could be, a, you could be like a, a master user of site because you can go to all those customers and say, man, you know what? You want to be, you want to be real experts and understand what's going on below the, the pavements that you're snow removing. You want to understand the soils and, and any, any you know, groundwater. I don't know if it matters in trees and shrubs and all that. but No, it does. because so, so groundwater, Gary, so like when I, so here, it's funny. You, I got into landscaping, you got into paving. But I will literally pull into a parking lot and see trees in decline. And instantly, I could, I could call a guy like you instantly and say, there's a groundwater issue here. Because trees don't like wet feet. So what happens is, any parking lot, and, and you will probably be like, oh, Joe is on something here. 
I'm sure you would agree any parking lot that has a groundwater issue also has a bunch of dead trees in the parking lot. And what's yeah. ironic is they always blame it on the snow contractor. Oh, it's your salt and it's this and it's your that. And it's like, no, it's your groundwater because I can dig a hole for your tree and if I don't plant it within 10 minutes, it fills with water. This you have a yeah. you have a yeah. water in your sub base, you know. So anyways. But um so again, but, so think about the value of, of uh, being a master user and your 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 partners out there with the ability to go out and be the experts and understand what's below that what's below that turf ten feet as much as ten feet below that turf. How much water is there? A water problem? Is it a seasonal problem? Is it a, is it a is it a problem that's always there? Right? Is a lake, a pond, a, a puddle below that pavement? Right? Yeah. Um, from the rain the night before, is it for from the last year's worth of? Uh, you know, water infiltration from the surrounding properties, right? You can figure this stuff out with this technology that you can never do before. So it's yeah. so cool. And it, what does it do? It creates an element of expertise for that the user that they did, that they didn't have before. Like as as we as you're doing with the automated mowers, right? That's pretty cool. That's now you're an innovator if you're doing that, right? You're creating innovators out, out of people that maybe don't spend the money to innovate normal, right? So that's that's cool. Well, and, and so we're both, you know we're automating success, right? Because what, what you're doing is you're, instead of having to go to every one of these properties and either with soil probing or radar or whatever you said you're doing, and now you're taking a bigger view. Like I even, one of the reasons I'm excited to interview Austin uh, soon is to learn more about site because like I look at a guy like me looks at a company like yours with site and the drone network and you know, satellite views I, I so we have our own app and i can i can zone out and map out automotors but yep. let me tell you what i can't figure out where there's power right i still have to send somebody to figure out where i can pull power so i've actually thought even about us having a relationship where automated outdoor solutions uses site to tell us where you know look for power outlets while you're flying around looking at all this other stuff look and identify where there's power on buildings and or where the transformers are at so right. I can get an electrician to come in yeah, and, and what, put it in something, you know what I mean? So Yeah, it sure seems like you can identify plant and, and shrubs and tree problems too, right? Yeah. You can fly around every tree, every shrub and identify issues, whether it's, you know, insects or whatever it is. You know, brother, I don't know enough about that stuff, but it sure seems like it would the, the the script could be as such that it flies all the all the uh, planting areas right all your all your uh, um, areas of plants and trees and all that and and it, it dials in all that so you get you know you you get uh, you know bird's eye view on every single tree every plant so you can identify hey man just so you know we're seeing a, an issue with with your with your uh, your pin oaks um, you've seen an issue with your maples or whatever it is and here's what it is right well and what I mean, automation it, does is it decreases the bottlenecks I mean what you guys are doing is in your business and, and all your partners now that are partnering with you is every business has a bottleneck. So like in my business, the biggest bottleneck I see is, you know, getting estimators to a project, doing the estimate, figuring it out, all the planning part, right? Like, like what I found is I can find people to get the work done, but you lose so much time in planning. Sometimes by the time you get it all figured out, the customer loses interest in the project in the first place, you know? So especially for me as a landscaper, maybe not you so much as paving because the longer they wait to pave a parking lot, the holes just get bigger. With landscaping, yeah. people just get used to seeing a dead tree there. They pay somebody to cut it down in the short term and then they're like, I don't even need a tree anymore, you know? Um, sure, sure. But, but what I'm hearing, you know, is the, the bottleneck of collecting the data 
to engineer the work is decreasing, right? Is that, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's what you're doing with your technology. The platform, especially as, you, as we invest in AI, more in AI, right? Eventually, it, it identifies all your issues. So, I mean, you're, you're going to be able to program the, 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 with AI, the, the, the platform, to say, hey, man, here's what, uh, what, what's a common thing that kills trees that, you'll, that you can see on the leaves or whatever? Well, yeah, there's tar spot. There's, I mean, there's, there's diplodia, like a lot of Austrian pines are dying from fungus. There's rust needle. Yeah, so tons and tons of things like that. Yeah. So again, I mean, you, you're gonna, we're gonna, we'll be able to develop this program with the help of the landscaping, uh, the landscaping experts, right? And we haven't done, we haven't gone there yet, right? Um, to, to identify fungus, right? So hey, this tree's got this type of fungus. Uh, you know, if we don't do X, Y, and Z to this thing, life expectancy is another six months or a year or whatever, right? I mean, I, I think there's really cool things to be done with, with site that make it so easy for for landscaping, especially a national platform landscaper. To, uh, to be a huge value to their customers, right? Yeah. So like, yeah, the goal for site is to be the, is really be the, the, uh, uh, the and that's, uh, what do you call it, a SaaS product, a SaaS product, uh, I think a sales force, but this product that takes in all major expensive on the exterior of a building and, and consults to them all, all with a, uh, you know, startup of their computer uh, and they, they, they pull up the program and, and, and uh, on site, every site has a spot uh, on the, on the, in the, within the property where the, where the, where the building manager, building owner, manager, uh, engineer sets the, sets the drone and every, every two weeks, every month, whatever they want, it flies the property by script and identifies everything, right? Landscaping, turf, lighting, pavements, roofing, facade, HVAC, and it, and it, and it keeps up with what's going on in, in the maintenance cycle and the depreciation cycle of all these things, right? And it identifies problems. Hey, man, we, you know, slip and fall, you know, alert. You know, we got a, we got, we got a red flag. What's the red flag about? There's an area that must have settled in the parking lot because you got, you got a slip and fall hazard uh, where, where, the, where, the, where the pavement is deviated by a quarter of an inch you know, over this whole, you know, you know, 100 square feet in front of this handicap area, right? Oh, man, red flag. Let's get that fixed, right? Uh, boy, we got some fungus uh, on, some, on, on, these, on these Austrian pines. Oh, what does that mean? Red flag, what does that mean? Well, it, this type of fungus will take five years to kill the tree. Um, it looks to be you're, you're two years into the five-year uh, death of it, right? And about two years, the, by the way. Year. Two years. <laughs> What's that? I said about two years. I'm going to add some value. Yeah, so uh, yeah. an Austrian pine has three, they hold three years of growth. You have year one, year two, and then the candle is year three. This is important for you to know on a golf course. So basically, if you identify diplodia in year one, once it attacks that year's candle, it can't grow again. So it, basically within three years, the Plodia will absolutely destroy itself and any pine around it. So there you go. There you go. So think about think about a platform or somebody somebody like like Salesforce. It has Salesforce. Every every uh, landscaping company might have this program. Every building owner has it, right? And if and, and the landscapers building is on the same plan, they understand that the, the, the uh, how the program works. But, but you know, it's not us uh, flying these sites ourselves all the time, right? Now it's them flying their own sites with an automated, automated uh, um, drone that costs them, at, heck, if they're as cheap as these are getting, eventually it'd be a couple hundred dollars, right? Uh -huh. Or a great drone that, that, that the building engineer just puts it on this little, this little pad or this little square, um, little, little painted out mark on their parking lot or, or their, their uh, uh, sidewalk. And, and that's where it starts every day, every time it goes up. And maybe it's every month, every year. It doesn't have to be that often. But 
Um, but the more often it is, the more the faster you're going to see issues, right? So anyway, I, I'm confident that that's where that's going eventually, and and we're we're getting closer and closer every day to that, right? And 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 so again, how what does it do? It provides expertise. It provides a a, a, a um, uh, knowledge for the customer that they would never have otherwise. It, it, it brings expertise to the table um, at, in, at their fingertips that they didn't have before. And then the landscapers, the pavers, the, the roofing companies that, that buy into that system that support it will be the most successful because they're, they're going to be a, you know, a, 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 a quick dial right? uh, to, to anybody that's, that's running the system. You know? There's a couple of uh, other questions I wanted to get to. And one of them is another common thing we have is owning, you know, there's a lot of your, you've got kids and stuff in your business, right? Um, you know, you've got Austin, you have your daughter. And as I'm sitting here with, with my daughter, who is a key part of our business, I know personally for me, it's what motivates me. It's one of my, people assume I'm motivated to grow because I just want more money. And I actually, what motivates me to grow is I own a business with my brother, my cousin Tony works for me as my sales manager. Tanner is my general manager. I consider family now. Anyways, it, it literally, it's like every day for me, um, it's like I'm going to a family party, right? And because of that, it motivates me to continue to grow these businesses. Um, I, I want to see if, if we share that commonality, you know, for a mutual, uh, like, yeah, yeah. So, kind of so one of your things, number, you know, because it's mine. So, so so number one, it, it, I, you know, I hear you saying, I say, kind of say the same way. I mean, it, it's crazy that we should be embarrassed or, or, or shy about saying we want to make more money, okay? Yeah. Because people, yeah. people think money is greed and they're taught that money is greedy. And I'll, Well, guess what? We can only, we, we, only do, we don't need a ton of money. I, I could have stopped a long time ago. But, it, but it's growing opportunity, opportunity to, to serve more people, right? To, to, to serve more teammates, for, to create more millionaires that, that can be sustainably uh, – uh, sustainably um, financially, financially strong the rest of their lives, right? Well, um, yeah, and, and one of the things, Gary, I just want to comment because you've brought something up about creating more millionaires. I don't think a lot, I, there's not enough people that work for guys like you and I that realize, and I, I'm sure you're going to agree with this, part of the reason I always want to grow my company is so that my current people that have grown it to the level we are don't hit a stagnant pay scale. It's it's so that they can continue to grow with us, you know? Yeah, so I think a lot of times in our political setting, it's seen as like the guys growing the businesses just want to keep all the money. No one's ever talking about the guys growing the businesses, growing it with people. Ceilings are dangerous to all of us, okay? Ceilings are dangerous. For you and I, it's, hey, man, I'm losing more hair all the time. And that ceiling, <laughs> I hit my head against the ceiling, I'm losing more of this, right? And so... <laughs> But ceilings are dangerous to all of us. Number one, as a business leader, it's dangerous to, to have ceilings of growth and size because we're not going to keep great people on our teams if there's a ceiling, right? If yeah. they see that, hey, Joe, Gary, they're going to be around for another 20 years and they're not growing past this, 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 uh, this size. So I'm going to grow and I'm getting the heck out of here. I'm going to go to the next company that can grow me more. Right? Or start their own. Or start or their own. Or just start right? their own. Yeah. Or, or start their own. And, and the thing is, it, it, it's okay. I mean, I, I welcome people to just to, to, to not be okay with the, with the size that we are, or, or, you know, not want us to grow faster and go on their own. I think it's a good thing. But either way, here's the thing. I believe that, that if we can continue, continually foster growth and opportunity, 
Um, our customers are going to be happier if we can serve them better with more, more innovation and better products and services. As we grow, we can afford to innovate more. We can afford to deliver better to them. This, this, our lives and our businesses and our success and the enterprise value that we create is, is exclusively bet, is, is a bet on one thing. It's how well do we serve? How, how well can we serve the world? Whether it's our, t- our, our teammates, our vendors, our customers, it's all of the above, right? All of the above. But if, we, if, we're, if we're excellent at that, you know, and you think of Microsoft and, and, and you think of Apple and all these great companies, what do they do? All they do is serve better than anybody else in the world. And what we have in our in our in society, we have society saying, "Oh man, that don't no don't be brown. You're not you're a brown noser. You're 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 a, you're an ass kisser. You're a brown noser. This or that, right?" Well, wait. They're, so they're stunting people's people's um, uh, passion maybe to serve like it's bad. No, man. If if you're the best if you're the best servant minded person in your industry, you're going to be the best in the industry. If you want to serve better than anybody else. More people are going to want your product. That's awesome. And more, more opportunities are going to come. And guess what? You're going to make more money. Oh, isn't that terrible? You're going to make more money. I mean, I, I mean how crazy is it that you have, to, you have to worry about people thinking, Joe is going to make more money and that's a bad thing. And believe me, there's people out there, envious people, that, that don't want Joe to make more money. Hey, Joe's got a nice house already. He's got this, big, he's got this nice business. And you're probably top 5% in the size you are today. Landscaping companies, average landscaping company might be a half a million dollar a year industry, uh, business, right? The average. You're, you know, 20 times more than that or more. So guess what? You're probably in top 5% already. And, but, but there's a lot of people that will envy your growth, your success, because that darn Joe, man, he's greedy. He's, he's taken up all this work. He's, he's, he's growing all over the place. And, and, but, if, but if you know in your heart and, and your team knows and your customers know you've, you have a servant heart, it doesn't matter. And I, and I believe that, you know, if your faith if your faith strong like I am today and my family is, right, God, God teaches us to, to serve, and, and that's all he, this guy, this all, all Jesus Christ did was serve everybody on this planet better than anybody else. That's why his name is so strong, right? And so if we take that in business, say, man, I want my name, Rabine Group and Rabine Pavey to be the strongest in the country, not, not because I, I care that I get any richer, because I really don't care. I mean, I, 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 if it happens, that's fun. That's, that's another element of competition. But, but really, I can do great things if I have a servant heart for the rest, the rest of my life. And better than I could do if I was if I was broke, right? So for me, I know I know my goal is is a servant heart, and that's why I'm always serve my customers great. And if I don't, I want to know about it. I want to, you know, as a chairman of my, my companies today, I want a customer to call me if there's an issue still today. And and I mean, I don't get a lot of calls. I think they call other people, my son and and our leaders, our businesses first, and the, and the, and the, and probably even before that, they probably call a supervisor for me on a job, and the, and the thing gets fixed without even coming to my leaders, right? So I get very little calls, but I want those calls every chance I get because I want to be able to um, mitigate issues and show that I care, right? So again, I believe that a servant heart is the most important thing we can have in business. And, and having a servant heart, man, if you can scale, scale that heart to serve better, bigger, faster, God's going to reward us. And, and, I, and I think our communities and our country will as well. Yeah, no, I agree. A lot of times people are always like, man, you you, you've got a horseshoe up your butt. You're just the luckiest guy. And I'm like, honestly, I, I, I do believe that sometimes good things do come to me more than other people's, but people, but I also feel like it's because I'm doing right by people, you know? So people will think to themselves, like, if, if I bring this opportunity to Joe, I don't have to worry about Joe screwing me over with the opportunity because I am 
like a servant leader. You know, it's like I, I want us all to gain from the fruits of my labor. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like hey, the, 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 the saying that's very simple saying that the harder we work, the, luck, the luckier we get, right? The harder we work, the luckier we get, right? And I think that's in anybody's life. And, and the other thing is looking at failures as short term, right? Hey, I failed many, many times. I still fail often. And I, and I hopefully fail fast, right? Yeah. Because through my failures, I look for the lessons and I, and I learn from them. But, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm kind of a uh, ditch digger and I, I'm really totally a hillbilly in my opinion. And, and so it takes me a little longer to learn maybe than most people. But boy, after three or four times I get hit in the head, I, I, I don't forget it, right? Some people yeah. are smart enough. They learn the first time. But, but bottom line is, uh, I believe that you're, if, you're, if you're afraid of failure, you're, you don't, don't be an entrepreneur, right? If you, if you embrace failure and embrace the, 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 uh, the, the fight and, and, uh, and, and, and the loss that you'll take sometimes, right, um, to learn from, then you know, entrepreneurship is your thing. If you're, if you're afraid of going back to nothing, if you're, if you're afraid of losing everything you've got, man, don't be an entrepreneur. Be ready for that, right? If you can be ready for that, it's, it's probably going to happen in, in some time in our careers that, we lose it all. It's happened to me a few times, right? And, and, if, and if you can look at it as, hey, no big deal, I'll get back up and do it again. I did it once, I'll do it again. I mean, you have to have the confidence that you know how to serve and, and the confidence you know how to innovate and create and, and the confidence you know how to build relationships. And man, you know what? You, you can bounce back off and, and, you'll, and you'll be fine. So again, the harder you work, the, the luckier you're going to get. But the harder you work means you're going to get beat up too and that, and that work and expect it. Expect it and embrace it. Yeah. You know? So yeah, Julia, well, Julia, Julia well, what, what's Julia think about all this stuff? So I think about all this stuff is that, um, honestly, I think I just absorbed every bit of information. And what I can say is that as someone going to MCC right now for business management, this podcast alone has taught me more than anything I will probably learn <laughs> going there. I mean, I've already done a year and then I've another year or like I'll have another year, but I know I've, this was just more beneficial and, like for me than anything else, just listening to everything. Uh, yeah, that's my thing. Yeah, and, and again, share, you know, seeking shared experiences, in my opinion, Julia, are the most important thing for a young, young uh, business leader like yourself, right? If, if you want to be great, get, just seek out shared experiences from people that you, your dad, you and your dad respect, right? That you think it will, will, will be honest with you and, and, and transparent with you. Because right. that, that's going to be how you learn the fastest, more than any, any education in school. You think about the people that are teaching these at these classes, most often are not having experienced these things, right? So right. they're teaching from a book, they're teaching from maybe some other people's experiences, but not often from their own shared experiences. So it, it's not as good. I'm, I, yeah, I believe. it's definitely just like vocabulary that I've learned. Like I took a business class and it was just teaching me vocabulary. So that didn't really do anything for me. And like, not yeah. only is this more just beneficial, just learning things, but it's more motivating and inspirational. So. Yeah, it probably took me 15 years to understand how to spell that word entrepreneur, right? I mean, <laughs> is, is the E before the U, the U before the E over here? Man, there's a lot of letters there, right? But, but either way, you know, I knew what the word meant before I knew how to spell it. And, and, I, and, I, and I love the concept, right, of, of building your own stuff. Um, but again, I, I, you know, for, for you, I'm confident that if you continually seek out, right, seek out people to share experiences, share experiences with, you also want to come with, with something to say, hey, here's something I can do for that person, right? Because that's even better. I and mean, I think great, great people will share experiences with, with people that want to, want to listen to them always because they're not afraid of competition, really, if you're always, always growing. But like I said, when I, when, I, when, I, when I think about this, it's those people that I actually had some value that I could bring 
not because they're selfish, right? But but they're like, man, I got to help that kid out, right? You know, when I was a kid, I can help that Rayvon guy out. He, he brought me this opportunity and I uh, helped him a little bit, but man, I got to help him more. And so, so again, if in the back of your mind, you, you, you want to be mentored or you want to learn from somebody, if you can bring them something that, that shows like you, that you care, or, you know, I want to do something for you. Um, and I know I'm, I'm going to ask a few things of you, if you can answer them for me, but I want to do this for you while we're talking, right? Whatever it is. And it can be something very small, but, but it's when you can go out of your way to serve first before you ask to be served, it works a lot better, right? Right. Well, one of the things I always say to her and my stepkids is, you know, and you brought up sports. I mean, we, I played football and I passed up football scholarships. Uh, and so we had that in common, but the biggest thing that I found was to be, and I always tell my people and I especially tell her is be coachable because you know, the thing about mentors are, and I think you would agree with this, Gary is when I see someone acting like a sponge, like, like they literally want to absorb everything I can talk about, I will just keep giving them information as fast as they can absorb it. But the minute I feel like they don't, like I, the minute they treat me like I'm a bag of wind, I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to move on to the person that wants to hear what I'm saying. And yeah. I think that's the biggest value that I can say to her is don't only listen to me listen to you because I, I'm going to offer a unique perspective. I'm like reading one book. Okay. If you listen to you and it's one of my reasons I have the podcast, you know, if you take, if you take an accumulation of people's minds and, and I think we've gotten to a point in our society, where we, we do not respect what our elders can pass down. It, you, you, there's, you've learned nothing because you're, you, you don't have to constantly reinvent the wheel. There are people that, have figured out a better way to do it, you can learn from it. You know, and I, I hope Absolutely. I hope you'll agree with that, you know. Absolutely. No, I agree hundred percent. And 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 I, I think um uh so so when we when you talk about mentorship, right, most of the key thing I didn't understand early on is you don't want people to tell you how to do things. You just want them to share experiences, right? Yes. Once, once once in a while you'll say, hey, what do you think I should do in this situation, right? And you're you're forcing them to kind of tell you what they should do, what they think you should do you're better off saying, can you share experience with me that, 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 that you had similar to this one, right? And, and, and how you felt about the decision you made in that experience, right? If you can do that, now they're not, you're not obligated to, to do what they're asking, what they're saying, what, they're, they're sure, what they think. You're just asking their experience so you can, you can you know, you make your own decision, right? And then there's no liability, you know, when I say liability, no liability of guilt on their end, no liability on your end, right? It's just they're sharing experiences, and that's the best. When, when, a, when a mentor tells you what to do all the time, do this, do that, say, try that. And I, believe me, I'm guilty of this sometimes too. I think I really got the solution. I'm going to say, here's what, here's what you do. Julia, you got to do this. You got to try that. You got to meet this person, right? I'll do that sometimes. And that's wrong, right? I mean, uh, you really need to say, hey, step back and say, okay, no, wait, wait, what's your experience? Can you tell me about, you know, how you thought about that when it happened? And then you can learn from that and make your own decision. It's the best way to learn. It's the best way to, to be mentored or mentor. Um, but, but I'll, I'll tell you, and when you went back to you know, more minds are better than one, um, you know, I, my book that I'm writing, I'm writing a book right now, it's going to be on Ditch Digger Laws of Success. And it's going to be the first 40 episodes or 42, I've got 43 or four episodes now, but I got to figure out the number, but it's probably 40 episodes. I'll split it up, split into that. And what are the, what are the laws of success we've learned through those, through, through those stories, right? And what are the common, common laws of success? And if you follow those common laws of success, your odds of being successful are going to be 
you know, way better than otherwise. And so, um, and there's, there's a book called The Laws of Success that was written in the turn of the century, actually in the 20s or 30s, it was written uh, in uh, 1920, 1930, 100 years ago now. And uh, it's a great book of, of uh, the titans of industry back then. And it's their stories of success. Well, one thing they talk about in this is they call it the mastermind. Okay, the mastermind was, was you know, two or more people thinking together and two or more people meeting together over a common cause or something, a solution, right, that they're, they're trying, to, trying to figure out. Um, and, and it was about, uh, and it was Henry Ford, Firestone, maybe um, uh, Vanderbilt and uh, Thomas Edison, and three or four, it was only three or four initially that met on a, on a weekly basis, I think it was. And, and they, they, from, what, from, from that, um, Henry Ford became a, a, a much uh, more innovative guy with Thomas Edison in his, in his mastermind, right? And uh, Firestone became a great entrepreneur because of the mind of his friend Ford and, and bouncing things off and sharing experiences, right? So the mastermind is just all about that. And I, I look at that today as forums, right? We, we build forums in, in YPO that I'm a part of, and they're, they're awesome. You become very close to the six to 10 person, 12 person forums you build. And, and with true mentors that you're a part of, Joe, we do this, done the same thing. We're, we're building forums where we, where we can as well. And, and man, it's amazing what you can get out of a, a group of people thinking together, sponging off each other, right? So it's, it, when you have, when you have a, a challenge and you can put you know, smart people in a room, it's a hell of a lot better than you, you know, uh, me if I'm an introvert, let's say, not wanting to talk to anybody, not wanting to share this experience, not this experience of, of trying to figure out the solution. Now, especially when you have a, 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 you know, a, a mind, as, a brain as small as mine, you know, it doesn't work very well. I mean, there's very intelligent people that think they can do it on their own. And in some cases, they're super smart and they get a lot done, but nothing is comparable. Even the smartest mind in the world is comparable to two or three minds working together to solve a problem, right? Yeah. Uh, to bring different, different paradigms into the, into the solution. So, so again, I, I, uh, back to, so, so, so forums and masterminds, in my opinion, are very important, right? So more than, more than one mind thinking the other on to, to, to solve problems is big. And if you can get four, five, six, seven, eight, ten people in a room that, that, that are all, uh, have the ambition to solve a problem, it's, it's even better. Um, you know, I think you get much more than that. It might be, you get to be too much and, and stuff like that. Uh, like our Congress and Senate and, and our, our bureaucrats today, I think they're, you know, they, they have too many uh, minds working on, on, on things and they don't get anything done. But either way, I think it's important. And then shared experiences, again, over everything else. And, and coming to the table if you're a mentor with, with not just, not just uh, you know, benefits for that person if, if something you do for them, but also being prepared. As, as Joe, as you said, you know, worst thing an app is a mentor uh, wants to help somebody out. And then, and then the, the, the mentee doesn't take it very seriously. They're not prepared. They don't, they don't uh, you know, come with good questions and, and, and stuff they learn from the, the, from the last meetings they've had and stuff like that. So. Well, and I think what, what's, you know, as long as we're on the mentor-mentee conversation is, you know, what's, what's important to say is I am a mentor to some people, but I also, I see myself as your mentee. Like, as I listen to you talk, you, you're somebody I look up to, you know, and, and that's another thing that I think people have to recognize is you're never, you've never reached a point in your life where you can't still learn. You know, and that's the other thing that I always want her to understand is that from the dip, from, <laughs> my echo dots telling me all of a sudden my Wi-Fi is not set up. Can you unplug that thing, Jules? Um, sorry, but but we're always constantly learning, you know. Um, and and 
I just want to say, it's like, you know, as we've been talking, I am writing notes of things that I see. And Julia's writing notes. I've got a full page. She, she has a full page, you know? And, uh, you, you know, that's, that's what's really cool about podcasts. It's like you can, unlike a book, you know, book you can, to me, I can read to wind down, relax, but I can put a podcast on in my truck while I'm driving yeah. from place to place. Your podcast, I do it all the time, Gary, you know, I, I do, I actually, and, uh, and, and, and I do it, and there's some days where you're having a rough day, and then I'll listen to one of your guests on your podcast, um, and, and and it's like, it's almost like the, 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 that podcast episode literally can fix a problem I'm having in my day, but that's, that's awesome. how I know my, my ears are still open. You know, I'm still yeah, no, willing to learn. You know? in, in, when you're, when you're, when you, in my opinion, when you stop seeking, uh, you know, seeking to, to be educated, again, I, I, I joke a lot that I'm, I am not very well educated academically, right? I barely made through high school. But, but I believe that that's, that's and, and people that are highly educated academically are awesome. God bless them, right? If they can have that and then keep the open mind to constantly be, you know, feed themselves with education, whether it's, you know, whether it's through reading or it's through mentorship or whatever, they can be a, a double, triple threat, right? For me, it's constantly through communication and listening, uh, listening to stories, meeting people that I learn. And, and my, my mentors of yesterday, of, of 30, 40 years ago, are in their 80s, 70s, 80s, right? And, and they're, they're still learning on a constant basis. They call me to ask me questions about what they think I'm, I'm knowledgeable about, right? And so they're, they're always learning, right? And I, I look at, you know, Bernie Marcus and, and the amazing guy that he is, and it's now his early 90s. The guy has yeah, got the, the, the spirit and the, and the energy of a 40-year-old, and, and he's constantly learning. And he's constantly seeking out information, and, and, uh, and he's a leader today in, in, uh, in, in so many ways outside of Home Depot that he started, you know, years ago. Um, and, again, I've got a friend, Hulan, another friend of mine that, that, that I – I paved a couple of driveways for him, realized he was very, very wealthy. And he, and he it turned out he was in manufacturing and, and invented a few things. And he got to be my friend. He's still my friend today. I think Fran's about 84 now, my buddy. And, and this guy I still talk to. Um, I own a call right now, actually. And he calls me to ask me questions about things he knows I have. The, I might have the answer for is, and I still call him. We're buddies, right? So long term, right? He, you know, my mentors are always learning and that's who I want to be when I'm, heck, I'm 57, but I feel like a kid still. When I'm, when I'm 85, 90, if I live that long, right? A hundred, if I can live that long, I, I, I better still be seeking out information, trying to learn more. And I think that your mind, your mind constantly working and, 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 uh, and, and adding information, I believe keeps your body young as well. Uh, I, 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 I see this in these people I'm talking about. Um, so I mean, I, you know, met Clint Eastwood, uh, and what a guy Clint Eastwood is, right? And and boy, he is sharp as can be, and what a fun guy to talk to. And his mind is constantly working, working on building the next movie, the next story. Um, yeah. You know, he's a golfer, so he's he's got a great great golf course he built. And we talk, about, I mean, but he's so passionate about so many things. I think he's eighty six, seven years old now, so passionate and so energized, energized every day that he doesn't feel like he's eighty six or seven or whatever he is now, right? So that's what I want to be. So I, I want to constantly, you know, mentor, be mentored off of people that, that are, have experienced different things than I have so that I can gain, you know, gain uh, enough knowledge about the next thing I'm doing, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I think when you love what you do, which is obviously obvious that you do, I, I know I do. Um, I and also I think do. Julia also <laughs> does. You, you want to wake up in the morning. You know, I, I think there's so many people that are 
stuck doing things they don't want to do, and, it, and that in itself ages them, right? Because every day they wake up and like, I gotta go and do this. And, and it just, it, it starts to play with your psyche. I mean, for me, I, I always tell people like, so many of my successes in business, I dreamt about the night before. And I wake up, and I mean, I've even, I'm that weirdo that'll do like a, a memo. I'll wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I'll be like, holy cow, that was a good idea. And I'll do a memo. But then I'll listen to it in the morning. I'm like, that was the dumbest yeah. idea I've ever had before, you know. And, but, but, but like, I, I am constantly, like, my brain, I, I'm so happy with where I am in life that I, I'm like, I, I'm living my best life. But it's, it's because I am an entrepreneur. I love it, you know. And, um, you know, you said you had a chip on your shoulder for kids in school. Mine was when I became a union electrician. I had the snow removal company. You know, a lot of people, and you might not even know this, like I was a union electrician and I started my snow removal company when I did a side job for someone who turned into one of my mentors also. And the union say you're not supposed to do that, dude. I know, right? I, I, I was, Gary, I've been breaking rules from the beginning, you know, but, but as far as, as far as uh, I should say not rules, you know, as far as like where people want to keep you in a, in a, no, bubble, I know. you know, but, but anyhow, long and short of that, the guys used to always be like, ah, snowplow Joe, do you want to be an electrician or do you want to plow snow? You know, the whole time I was like, you guys love this job. I don't love it. But I learned a lot from that job. I learned, how, like I said, you know, people, the way people treated people, the foreman that treated me right, the foreman that treated me wrong, the business owners, uh, you know, associate electrical contractors. I worked for them. That was the last job I had before I went full, full boat over here. And um, I, I thought that was a great place to work for, you know, and, and it's funny to me. I remember standing there, they had a meeting, there were 90 people. And I thought, man, one day, how awesome would it be for me to have a business where I'm the guy giving the 90 person meeting. And, and the other yeah. year, last year, I, we, we were doing our snow meeting and Tanner was like, um, yeah, we have to have meetings over four days. And I said, why? And he's like, well, dude, we have 290 employees. Like, where do you think we're going to put them all? And, and yeah. Gary, it was last year. It's like so much has happened. I I had the epiphany. I was like, holy cow! I have I have done what I wanted to do times three. Like like I am I am giving ninety person meetings. You know, and, and that's what's just yeah. amazing about it. And so like, set, so, set, so set those next set that uh, one three and ten year goal, dude, and and uh, make sure that ten year goal is lofty enough. It's not so easy next time. Don't be such a you know, light <laughs> go after it, will you? And and again. I think that uh, when I say that, and, and I say it jokingly, right? But um, you know, visionary is to have a visionary is a big thing in a business. And you, some people, sometimes it's the entrepreneur. Often it is, um, but oftentimes that that visionary isn't also the the the, the uh, strategist, right? I mean, they, they they're um, very often their their the vision. And my, this is my case. My vision has always been kind of crazy to other people when they think when they when they listen to my vision, they think I'm nuts. Um, I've usually, you know, usually hit the hit the, the the vision that I set out. I usually hit, but my my challenge is getting the whole team behind me over the years, and I'm better at that now than I used to be. Here we are as a team because not, you know, the vision the visionary is me in some cases. Sometimes it's the CEO of the company that we're we're talking about that we have, and that. But the the key is to have the operational uh, strategic plan, the operation to be aligned with that with that vision, and sometimes. Operational people will pull that vision down a little bit. And that's okay. Sometimes they'll actually push it up a little more if the visionary is a little, you know, a little long, 
less aggressive. So, so again, but you, you better get the team aligned, the operational minded people that aren't visionaries aligned with the visionary. Otherwise, it's not happening. It's going to be very tough for it to happen. Or if it happens, it happened very sloppily, right? So, the, my, my, so my thing is, you know, alignment and vision and strategy is huge. And not all entrepreneurs have both sides of the brain. I, I for one, don't, right? I, I can do strategy and I, and I can have fun with it for a little while, but, but I get bored with it fast and I'm off to the next thing. I don't, I don't want to be stuck in operations too long because just not where I'm, I thrive, right? So, so again, I think it's important to say, okay, vision is important, strategy and operations to, to align with it, really important, right? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, um, yeah, I don't know, I just, I look at all of, you know, industries you and I are both in and I see, you know, when you're talking about aligning vision with operations and you talk about sometimes they pull away, I, I think it'd be safe to say, and you would agree, one of the things sometimes that keeps the vision in check is finding people, right? You know, and, and figuring out how you're going to duplicate. You know, anytime I've ever lost a customer, I've always said, like, if I could clone me, I likely would not have lost you. And, and they agree, you know. And when I look at all this automation that's coming out, you know, what you guys are doing with site and pipe view, what I'm doing with robotic mowers and left-hand robotics like one of the things you and i have to talk about uh even is the you know the left-hand machine that snow blows 20 miles a sidewalk you know i look at these things as you know how can i let my vision how can i get to where i want to be and use the automation to fill those gaps you know yep. uh, well, and, and i, I think that's what minds like yours and i like your mind and my mind that's what we do you know so yeah, so, so I'm, and I'm not sure, you know, where, where your core values are, but I think that's a big part of that, right? Aligning your core values, making sure the core values you have in place are ones that you live and die by, that you hire by, fire by, uh, you, you, you award people by, and, right? Tasty catering episode, Gary. Core values. I, I listen to the podcast. I, you, we're aligned. Yep. Yeah, core yeah. Values. So, you got, so, yeah, that, I think it's so important to have core values aligned that you, you have team, team members that believe in them, right? And your industry is similar to mine. Your, your core values, you know, might not vary a lot from mine, but no more than five, maybe six at the very most. If you can do it in three or four core values, way better off, right? So, I mean, uh, I think that's very important to, to really take the time to understand what are the right core values for you in, in any industry, right? Any business that you're involved in. So, uh, Gary, you, actually, your, your podcast, and then maybe, because I, I know you said you had to be off at a certain time, and this might be a good, good time to kind of wrap it in, but if – you may not know this, but even in our on our website, we list our values on Automated Outdoors website. Good. And you, you're right. You know, it's like I knew for every company I want to build now, I start with the people like Julia identifying our core values. And our business cards now have a mission statement on them so our customers understand what we're about. I, I think in the future, those are the things – that will define the world-class organizations from the people that just do it. Um, and, it, and it's about not only your people understanding those values, but in my opinion, the customer base also, because it, it's a check and balance. The customers know, hey, if I use Raybine or Site or whatever company it's gonna be, I know this is what he and his employees expect of themselves. So if I don't right. see it, I can call Gary, you said you like the feedback, and say, hey, I think you're lacking value six. Like something's going on on this site, maybe you want to take a look at it. So I learned a ton from, from that, and I, I'm already implementing it, you know. 
So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, right. So, so for us, if our customers are our better, our our customers that use us more often and care about these things, know our know our values, right? And so, you know, it, it, so you know, when it comes to uh, uh, you know safety, it's our first and foremost thing is ensure safety, right? Um, we got to be safe in your industry, in my industry. If you're not safe, man, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, your insurance rates are going to put you out of business. Yeah. People can die, right? I mean, ter- terrible things can happen. And by the way. If you're just selfish as a as a as a business leader, you know your insurance is a heck of a lot cheaper if your mod rate's lower, right? Yeah. And guess what? If you're selfish again, um, customers don't want smart customers won't use you if your mod rate's too high. Well, exactly. So, you you can't get half of the bids if your mod's over 1.0. You know. So that's right. So, so safety is a huge thing, right? And then and then what do we want? We want accountable people. We want to drive accountability. That's our that's our next thing that we care about is is do we have accountable people that drive accountability? If somebody may, makes a mistake. Do they fess up to it? You know, overall, our people do, our teammates do, right? So, um, when, when I think accountability is a no-brainer. You can't you can't blame other people for mistakes. You take account if you're accountable, you're you're relieving the pain and, and anxiety of other 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 teammates, especially if you're a leader, right? And then and then for us, it's what we mentioned earlier, work ethic. We if we want people to exude work ethic. If they're passionate about what they do, they're going to exude work ethic. If they're not, they're not going to, right? So passion is a big thing of mine, but. If, if they don't exude work ethic in the industries that they're, they're in and the customers we're serving, that, you know, they're probably not a fit for us, right? And then, you know, respect everyone. We mentioned the, the golden rule, right? But that comes from that. Respect everyone. And, and if, you do, if, you, if you don't respect everyone you're around, then we don't want you on our team. Um, it's simple. It's easy. But not everybody focuses on it, and, that, and myself included. I, I will I, I'll, I will do something stupid and, and not show respect sometimes. And I hope that my teammates – and anybody around me will call me out, right? And so, and then, so the last thing for us is practice continuous improvement. If if we have, you know, that's and that's all about innovating, right? If we're if we're if every one of us is practicing, you know, continuous improvement, we're getting better. Whether a first day person on the job or or it's somebody that's been with us for thirty years, um, if they're always striving to, to 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 practice continuous improvement, they're not they're not they're not um, uh, offended by that new thing we're doing. They're not offended by, by the new. Uh, uh, standard operating procedure we've created. They're not offended by trying something different, right? And, and, and if they are, we go to that. We go to that uh, core value and say, "Come on, man! You you're, you signed up for this. You're you're part of this team. You know this is our our fifth core value. And, and if you don't care to improve, maybe this is the right place for you, right? Or maybe this isn't the right role you should be in." So again, I think those five core values sum up what we are, and and, and it makes it really easy to talk about, right? And when when things go wrong, there's a problem. It's easy to bring up one of these core values as as the thing we get you know we have to look at and improve on, right? So well, and it takes so much pressure off your middle management too, because now there's not there's not good cop bad cop. It's these are the values. I hired you by those values, and I I'll let you go off those yep. same values. You know, it, th- things become much easier to scale. Exactly, it, it, make, exactly. it makes a company more scalable. So yep, absolutely. And our so, slogan is still discover the difference. Yes. Yeah. So Julia started that. Our our slogan currently is automatically mowing its way into the future at AOS and and even at Lankton Group. So uh, so once again we share uh, Gary. Our minds are so similar, and it, it is crazy that you know that to round this out with our guests. You know, Gary became my neighbor. I live on his beautiful golf course. Um, Kind of upset I didn't have the opportunity to buy the damn thing when he did because it's that awesome. I mean, it's seriously talk about working hard and finding opportunity. He did, um, but then he moves 
a little bit away. I move pretty much same subdivision. So we're still, we, there's so many things we do alike that uh, well, I, I just, it makes still, me laugh, you know. Yeah, yes. We both bought houses that were overbuilt in, in, in Illinois where the values have plummeted from high taxation, right? Yeah. And, and we've got great deals on homes. We have to put a little bit of money in to get them back to where they need to be, but, but great values in the long run. Yeah. Um, as long as Illinois someday gets their, their, their stuff their together. together. Yeah. And so my next, next stage of my life might be dedicated to a lot of that as well. You know, hopefully straightening and helping to uh, re renew uh, the Republican party in Illinois and bring it back to the state. And uh, that's, that's my next thing I'm, I'm involved with. Yeah. You know? Well, if you need any help with that, you let me know. So. You got it. All righty. Well, Gary, well, it was great lot. having you. What's that? Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you guys having me on, especially uh, early on in, the, in your uh, podcast history. So. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to uh, you have to make sure you tune in, and maybe I'll uh, once we get going with these, and I get to a point where I have forty episodes or forty two, like you do, I'll bring you back on, and uh, you can talk about it's our lives move so fast. We will probably have already been growing, scaling new companies, and uh, it'll probably make for an interesting uh, maybe yearly recap we should do. Or any, any, anytime. Anytime. Right. As, as, long as, as long as it's uh, Julia, you know, asking me questions and, be, and beat me up I'll, instead I'll of your... I'll ask him next time. Instead, instead, of, instead, of your, <laughs> instead of your big bullying ass that... Uh, you know, <laughs> so, so, hold on. Now, this is, this is actually, this is, this is some good podcast stuff right here. I actually told her, like... You, you're going to have to ask some questions and either you're going to have to do some takeaways, much like how you've got with your podcast, uh, Quentin does takeaways. And I was like, you're going to have to do some stuff. But I'm sure this is where I'm going to sound like a bully because I'm speaking for her, but she'll probably agree. She's probably thinking, I've literally heard the phone conversations in the truck between you and Gary. How the hell do you think I'm going to get a word in? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I thought it was best to absorb the information. I... I saw very few opportunities to talk. <laughs> well, I mean, they're so funny, but I, I figured you guys were just in the zone. So I let it so be. What, so, Julia, what are your major takeaways? Okay, well, so I had to start, discover the difference every day, think about what you were doing, um, different for customers, you know. And then, to me, the one that stood out the most was uh, pride kills all good things. I think that's the one that will sit with me the most. So. Good. I mean, I had more, but those, to me, were, like, the biggest – just two awesome. You know, so, so for me, you know, a lot of, a lot of fun things in my life. I, I can talk about some people, you know, my wife will say, Oh Gary, you know, people aren't going to believe all that because it's crazy. The stuff you've been through, right. Or, Oh Gary, you sound like you're bragging because it's that, but there's a young man, Charlie Kirk, that that's uh, one of the most popular young conservative minds in the country today uh, in the world. Actually, he's got uh, London, England. They want him to start a chapter of turning point USA there, but Charlie's my, my buddy, and I, and I was with him when he first started his organization, and one of his uh, person that believed in him the most early on when he did, you know, had a couple of us, right, that, that really liked his, loved his vision. But anyway, the same thing with Charlie. Charlie is, a, is, a, is one of the most intelligent young people, or people, forget about young people, one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life. Got a photographic memory. He's, uh, um, he's a, the, the greatest student of world governance I've ever seen understands every country in the world where they've been and where they're where they've been over the last couple thousand years politically government wise culturally and all that and and um, also wars and everything he also is a great student of the bible um so anyway what i told charlie and and, and uh, his his uh um his first advisor and, and the guy that discovered him bill montgomery is my good friend today uh along with charlie 
Um, what we, we got together, I said, okay, you know, Bill, I said, the only thing I worry about Charlie is that pride kills him, right? He's so smart. He's such a sharp kid. Um, he's he's going to get full of himself. He's going to have people tell him how great he is. And he has that every day now. Uh, our president of our country is, is advised by Charlie, right? He, uh, he loves, you know, the president of the country and, and serves across the country. Love what this organization, Turning Point USA, has done. Anyway, but again, with Charlie, I've said this to him consistently. Almost every time I talk to him, Charlie, how's, how's your pride level, dude? And he goes, Gary, I'm, it's in check. I think it's in check. You know, I said, okay, well, if I see him at an event, a big event with a few thousand people he's talking to, I'll watch him and I'll, I'll critique him on that, on that subject. And, you know, Charlie, uh, you know, a kid re- reached out to you walking by and you, and, you, and you didn't really give him any attention on not even just a, a, a wink and sorry, I'm running late or whatever, right? I said, you got to treat everybody like you want to be treated and pride, pride can never, you, know, you can never let pride get in the way. And so, so, so sure enough, so far, in my opinion, the kid's doing a great job. He, he, I agree. Uh, Bill, Bill reminds me, I think I, we probably wouldn't have to remind him anyway. He's that smart of a kid. But man, and when I look at you know issues and ch- challenges I've had in my life, it's it's pride that's caused the issues. And 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 uh, you know, read the Bible or anything that has to do with God and, and faith. And pride also, you know, is spoken over many many times and how it's ruined great people and how it will ruin anybody. Right. So, so I, yeah. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you caught that. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. It's okay to have good chips on your shoulder. I like that one too. And then seek out all the lessons, even in the bad situations. So, so I don't know. Those are my main ones that I'll, I'll implement. I think those are great takeaways, don't you, Gary? <laughs> those are awesome. Thank you, Julie. I yeah. appreciate it. I appreciate you got something out of it anyway. Yeah, I, mean, I did for sure. I mean, people get much out of this brain, so I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I think our listeners are going to get a ton out of this podcast. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you were on and I, I'm – I'm glad we are neighbors and I'm glad we met. And, uh, you know, I look back, you know, really we've only been in our lives a few years now, but uh, I'm glad, I'm glad we became neighbors. So we actually got to know each other and otherwise you would have just been a snow competitor and we probably would have never talked. And one of the things to close it out too, which is crazy is you, you have a high level snow uh, removal company. So do I, and we can function in a room together and help each other out. And that is one of my things that I want to get through with this podcast, especially in the landscape industry. None of the business leaders in my industry are willing to talk to each other because it's such low margin. People are constantly cutting each other's knees off. And I literally want to unite us and get us, get us all talking and realize our worth as entrepreneurs um, and it's just proof in the pudding that in a similar industry, but snow removal, two guys can sit and have a conversation for a couple hours now and never once talk about how we've competed with each other or taken any business away from each other. You know? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree hundred percent. I mean, you know, the, the challenge there is, you know, you don't, you don't talk about pricing, you don't talk about these things, but you talk about good business. And when you talk about good business and, and, and what, what a good business looks like and enterprise value and what enterprise value looks like, if, if everybody in your, in your industry, my industry, understand what enterprise value looks like, they would understand that you have to, you have to be a sustainable business that makes a good enough profit to get to, through tough times, right? Um, a sustainable business that makes good enough profits and invests in the best innovation, right? And so that's what good business looks like. So if you just bring together groups in, a, in, a, in, in the industries, like you're saying, uh, and you talk about those things, the industry gets better. It gets to be a better industry to be within because if you, if you strive to be great, you profit from being great. And if you don't, you probably don't. So 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think you can, t you can talk with competitors, be friends with competitors. I'm friends with lots of them um, without, without breaching the, the real ethics, right? Where you're, you're saying, hey, man, I'm bidding this job. Are you bidding it too? Or, hey, what's your price? Well, I'll give you this one. You give me that one, right? That's, that's wrong. And that, yeah, and that's that wrong. That but but aligning with people that have the same values. Uh, I guess what learn a lot values, right? In enterprise value, you don't have a lot of enterprise value if your business is built on corruption. You don't have a lot of enterprise value if, if you're built with if your business is built with no ethics and and no real values, right? right? So yeah. again, if that's talked about in the groups you're saying, that stuff never happens, right? Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, well, Gary, great having you. I think this was awesome, and uh, we got to do it again soon. You got it, guys. Right. Thanks a lot. And One uh, of these days, I'm gonna be waiting for that invite on Ditch Digger. Just letting you know, I'm gonna get there. I'll I'll be a top one percenter, and I, I I'm gonna be on yours. So. You got it. Well, you let me know when top what top one percent is. Is that twenty million? Is it is it fifteen million? Well, is so it, it depends. So I guess it depends on the business. I could be. I'm. We're definitely top one percent in, in in the automation world right now. So I could probably sneak in as AOS. Right now, you know, I'll get you some figures and you can make the decision. As, 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 oh, yeah, wait, no, good. Uh, you know, you're, you're right there, I'm sure. You guys are awesome. I appreciate, I appreciate the time. You have a spectacular day. All right. Uh, you too. Thanks, Gary. And good luck on this podcast. You're going to kick butt. All right. Thank especially, you. Especially, yeah. especially, especially Julie on the, on the uh, So, hey, listen, I'll say this the whole music idea, this is, this is her. So, you know, we, I don't think we cleared it up in, 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 uh, Sorry, Chris probably have to do a bunch of editing now, but, but, the, uh, but basically what we want to do with our podcast is we're going to make a playlist. Okay, so yours is your Ditch Digger CEO sign, okay? And we are going to take on Spotify and we're going to take an automating success playlist of all of the guests so that people can hear the music that inspires the guest. And then you have to understand that we're going to have business owners like you and then we're also going to have engineers making the equipment so one of the things i was talking to chris about who by the way people listen to this podcast great producer of our podcast is to start to see if the entrepreneurs have a little different spin on the music they listen to versus the engineers and then at the end of the show julia and i take this podcast between us and we take a song off our father daughter playlist to close out the podcast. So I like it. it's kind of like, like a little it. different flair and uh, I have to give her the credit for it because this is, awesome. this is like what it. happens in an organization when you have 19 and 20 year old minds. They think yeah. of things that the 41 year old mind doesn't think of. So Absolutely, no doubt about it. You, 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 Multi-generational uh, business is the most important thing. If you're all one generation, not gonna work out too well. If you're all one, uh, you know, one, one, uh, uh, it come from the same, everybody comes from the same paradigm, right? The same upbringing, the same, whatever doesn't work out so well, right? You need that di diversity of, of thought. And, uh, I, I think, you know, you've got that, we've got that. And you need to continue to think about that, right? Yeah. Well, it's like having a 12 cylinder sports car versus a single cylinder. Exactly. It's like everything just runs smoother, more harmonious, the more, the, the, the more background and culture you bring into a company, the smoother everything rolls out. Marketing looks better. Sales is better because you yeah. can relate to everyone out there in the world. So Right. Oh, I agree. So. All right, kids. Wait. Great, great stuff, Gary. Great stuff. 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 Great stuff
Have a spectacular day, and uh, thanks for having me on. You too. Thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks for all your time. Bye now. See you. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to invite you to check out automatingsuccessshow.com where you can watch each episode's best business automation and growth strategies and download Joe's 11 keys to automating your business for maximum growth. Please follow us on Instagram at Automating Success Show for more helpful automating business tips, tricks, and silly memes on maximizing growth and productivity. If you felt any benefit from this show, please let us know by leaving an iTunes review, sharing this episode on social media, and emailing a link to anyone you think would also find that. I know I'm free, and I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly defend her still today cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA